ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. episode thanks to these fine companies i depend on in the field game changer calls the gc was designed with all hunting callers in mind though elk is the intended target the unique size is a game-changing tool for turkey and coyote callers as well it is not designed to replace your tube or open reads but rather to complement the caller's repertoire in the field vortex optics proudly made in the usa hoffman boots if you're heading to the backcountry and you need some meals that won't bog you down, check out SasquatchFuel.com. 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head over to SasquatchFuel.com. Titanium Archery Products. Dedicated archers deserve truly unique products that provide all the performance attributes that they demand, and that's exactly what TAP delivers. For more brands we run and trust, jump on westerncontours.com partners page. Look for the code Western Contours and save a few dollars off your order. So we are on with Joe. Joe, say your last name since you just butchered mine after I butchered yours. <laughs> Julia. There you go. Joe Julia. <laughs> one of the one of the men behind Elk Bros. Uh, Joe, I appreciate you jumping on with me, man. I want to go through elk, talk some elk, talk some hunting. Um, yeah. So, yeah, why don't you give us some background, uh, talk a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump into Elk Bros and then roll from there. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, long story short... <laughs> Uh, North Carolina, South Carolina country boy, um, 
family of six, uh, lost my father when I was about 13. Uh, been fortunate though, that I've had two good dads in my life. So my stepdad was a outdoors guy. And, you know, when you're in the South outdoors, guys mean you hunt for food, uh, squirrel, dove, coon, everything, man. So, um, I was fortunate enough that at the age of 13, I was introduced to the outdoors and, and to hunting by my stepdad and uh, poor family. You know, when you have six kids and you live out in the boonies of the Carolinas, you, you, you do what you do, man. And uh, you take a lot of pride in the things of bringing food home, you know, getting things done with one shot. You know, squirrel, man, I don't know if you've ever been back east, but squirrel hunting is like a religion back there. And, you know, you, you're there's all these challenges of taking, you know, one shot and, or barking them so you don't ruin any meat, you know, all these type of different things. But it was just something that I, the woods and the outdoors has always been something special to me. And, and I think it even started before that, but that just really enhanced it. And I got an opportunity to come out to New Mexico, uh, the first kid out of my family to, graduate high school, number one, and then the only one in my family to go to college, I ended up, because my real dad was a vet, I ended up with veterans benefits. And I got a a scholarship opportunity came in out of the blue from the University of Albuquerque in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I look at it on the map and I see where it's at. And, you know, it's located right in the middle between Arizona, Colorado, uh, Texas. And you get, it was all these places you could go and see. And I had never been out of the South. So worked hard that summer, put $1,500 in one shoe, $1,500 in the other shoe. So no city boy would ever be able to take my money. Got a (laughs) one-way flight. (laughs) And next thing I know, I'm landing in Albuquerque, man. And the rest, uh, uh, you know, the rest has been pretty much history. I, I met my wife while going to college at the age of 20, we got married. Um, we didn't have our first child until we were like 24. So (laughs) for those people wondering that one, but, uh, uh, while we were going to college, when we got married, basically poor college students. But, you know, I, I lived in the type of family and was raised that, you know, you make do, you make things happen, you find a way. And I I never worried, you know, I never worried guy about what the future was going to hold. I knew I could always survive. A country boy can survive, man. As long as I had my shotgun, I had my bow, I was good to go. So um, we were married young and and I would hunt, I would fish, and I was out in the woods. I was 18, 19, hunting near Las Vegas, New Mexico, out in the woods when I had my first elk come by me. And when I saw that critter, it was like buddy i'm home <laughs> squirrel what <laughs> i was like man i you know you look at that that is uh that's a freezer full on the hoof right there so that was that was a winner's meat for us and uh had the opportunity uh to go at the age of 20 for the first time i had some guys that i was in a bow hunting group with it was uh in las vegas bow hunters and one of the guys invited me along said just get your tag we got horses we got everything we're going in the pecos wilderness come on and i was had no clue other than i was just a hunter and i knew 
I knew how to use my nose. I knew how to use my ears, my eyes. Uh, I didn't know a whole lot about the animal, but I knew how critters worked. I knew they needed food, knew they needed water. I knew where they would be probably in the evening and struck out on my own. I didn't even wait for other people to show me. I kind of, we got into camp, went down into an area and sure enough, had a cow elk walk out into this little park at about 40 yards. I shoot a compound, but I'm barebow. I don't, I'm all instinctive. I don't use sights. I use fingers. And this cow steps out at about 40 yards and I go to draw back. And when I go to draw back, my, remember back then, you know how you had the stick on arrow rest guy? Oh yeah. <laughs> right. So it's gone, man. It's, it's, it's somehow going through the woods. It's been ripped off. And I look at that and I look at the cow. Next thing I know, I'm sticking my finger up. I'm drawing back my arrow on my finger and let fly. And that at the age of 20 was my first elk up in the Pecos wilderness. And, uh, it's been, it's been an affair since then, man. That's my critter. It's just something that they just, uh, they're so incredible. And, you know, there's all kinds of ways to describe those animals, but the hook that they get into you just with their, I don't know, you know, uh, you, know you hear everybody say majesty and majestic, but I think, I really think that word was created for this animal, man. The, the yeah, part that I'm smiling ear to ear right now because the fact that you've been in the elk woods for 30 plus years and right. you can't come up with the descriptives and I, and I find myself <laughs> feeling like a moron when I can't do it. I, it just makes me feel good about it because there is you know, absolutely something more than just the word majestic when you start oh, talking totally. about elk, man. No, it's, it, it, there's a connection. I mean, that animal is everything in a box, man. Their, their power, their grace, their intelligence, uh, they're ferocious, they're gentle, they're, uh, they're just everything in a box that just, just, you know, they're, a, they're my critter. That's the only way I, I tell people, man. And it's, it's just, uh, when you get the opportunity and you really learn them and you just get to know their habits, you get to know their language. And, and it seems like, well, like you said, I've been at this 30 some years, uh, going on 40 years, man. And it's like, I always learn something new. You know, it's always so dynamic. There's never a script. You know, it, you just can't script it. It's, it's, it's so cool. That's what I love about it. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump us ahead. Then I reel us back in a little bit. But that was okay. one of the things that I wanted to talk about with elk, right? And and that's one of the bullets I sent you. Actually, is you had a plan till you got hit in the face, and they always have a way of hitting you right smack dab in the middle of the kisser and you you stuck there shaking it off trying to figure out what happened because dang i had all the information coming in here you know especially right. now right i e-scouted and i did this call and i listened to this and i watched that and you know what am i doing wrong and we're as a as a newer elk hunter I, and i don't even know if it's just the new elk hunters i think a lot of elk hunters in general um can't figure out how to walk away from it and then just go back in with a 
with a clear head, right? And it's like athletics, right? You know, short memory, right. football. Right. You're a coach, right? right? Um, you want to forget yes. that. That You want to learn from it, but you want to forget it so you can move on. So what's your take on that? How, how, do, we, how do we devise a plan, put that plan oh, in yeah. action, and then – when you get smacked, you got to focus back on that plan, right? You plan, you right. implement, you plan some more type deals. That's how I look at it. What's your take on all that? Well, yeah, I'll give you a fine example, man, this year. So this year, uh, I thought we were in such high cotton because for the first time in a while, uh, an area that we were going in was loaded with acorns. And anytime you have acorns in a particular area, it's just like a magnet. And I was like, man, we are just going to be killing it in this area. And nope, it wasn't <laughs> there, man. It just wasn't there. I mean, the bulls that were there uh, were um, were still bacheloring it. You know, they just weren't sounding off. It just weren't didn't have the cows in there to make it go on. And and that, and that's the whole thing is you, you can have animals in the area and they're just not feeling it. And a lot of people don't think that there are animals in the area when they are. But to answer your question. I think the best thing I got going for me is I did not start out with the typical elk skills that knowing how to call and using that as the basis of what I was doing to be able to get my opportunities. I learned just the opposite way because I learned from the hunter's side that didn't have those skill sets that brought those skill sets from the Eastern woods. So um, I, I knew how to read sign. I knew how to read what was going on in the woods. I knew how to smell. I knew how to see. I knew how to hear. And I utilized that. My first technique, Guy, was if I found sign in an area um, I started to learn how these critters moved and where they wanted to be, but I would start heading crosswind until I caught their scent, and then I would start working into the wind until I got up on them and followed them. Or if I found track on them that seemed like fresh track heading in a direction, I would actually work into a downwind side. I I used their skill set against them, so I, I would actually smell them out and then go in, and you know when you develop more of a dynamic skill set where um, my deal always been is you do what works. Uh, if, if point A is not working, then you got to try something else or, or you're just checking in the baggage. You're just uh, trying to hammer a round peg into a square hole. And if you keep doing that, it's just insane, man. I mean, you're just trying to force something to happen instead of, Look, we are the number one apex predator, and that's because we have a brain. And if you're in a situation and the animals aren't there, then you use that head and you find a way to overcome that. And, you know, you always hear everybody say elk are where you find them, right? Well, I, I, always, I always say, well, elk can be in the next place within five minutes. I mean, you could be someplace that's empty of elk, just devoid. And man, you can come out there the next day and all of a sudden the place fills up. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing how that happens. So sometimes you just got to keep the faith. You keep working your multiple skill sets, understand what the animal's strengths and weaknesses are and work those. And I, that's, that's my best advice for people is that when you talk about this huge learning curve, filter it all the way down 
to the basics, <laughs> take it all the way down to what their basic needs are. And, you know, they've got to eat, they have to drink. And in September, they're going to breed no matter what. You know, I, I hear people say that, um, well, the, the rut's late this year because it's too hot. No, or, or they're not rutting because there's too many people out bugling. No, that's not happening either. We would never have any elk every year. So they're, they're going to breed, they're going to eat, and they're going to drink. So if you understand that and know that, then, man, find out where they're eating, where they're drinking, and where they are breeding. If they're not breeding in that area where you're at, because they are going to breed. Okay. So I, I tell guys, just filter it down to the, to the most basics and then go from there. And I, I don't know, maybe I take a lot of things for granted because I've been at it so long, but that's how I started in the beginning, you know? And I think if, I think we've become so dependent on hearing a bugle and but that's you know, the sexiness. <laughs> that's the sexiness well, of elk hunting, right? And and yeah, and I would agree. <laughs> yeah. And I would agree with you that uh, that filtering it down is is necessity, right? And I learned that the hard way last year, where I needed to filter that information down. But I think what happens is, it, you know, you have you have all these avenues of information, right? And you have you right. know some great teachers. You got Paul. You got Michael. Um, you got Corey, you have all these guys that have these solid plans, um, that are proven, but I believe we get hooked on one thing and we think that that one thing is the only way. So the ability to understand that we need to filter that down. And at the end of the day, and my takeaway last year was just hunt them, just hunt the daggum animal and stop worrying about, all the other not there. Yeah, yeah. all the other noise is am i doing it you know am, am i doing this like michael you know is this michael's breeding sequence i mean it I, dude i had notes in my phone and i'm and i'm in the woods and i'm like okay this is what i'm going to do this is what i'm going to do so i have this i have this game plan right that the elk had no idea about <laughs> they, right, they had absolutely. no clue and i'm like hey bro don't you know that i have a game plan right here that, <laughs> that tells me that you should be doing this <laughs> and, and i think and i think that's where a lot of us get wrapped up and not just with elk hunting i i see it with deer i see it with you know pig pig hunting is kind of an anomaly um yeah. to the whole thing um there's not a a, a piss ton of opportunity in every state we have some really good opportunity so i see it here a lot and even right. you know look at the turkey woods right now so i think that filtering sure. it down and thinning it out but understanding where we need to be and just hunting the animal and let all that other stuff happen they don't know the game plan <laughs> No, but they, well, I'll tell, let me tell you what they do know is they're just like any other opponent. And as a coach, I think I hit a lot of this in that mindset is when I prep for a game, when I'm going to go and take on an opponent, I try to prep my team to be prepared to overcome the other teams, you know, to take advantage of their weaknesses. But that team is doing the same thing. And so are Elk, bro. They're like, okay, nobody's going to want to go down in this canyon after us. 
right here. You know, there, there's that, uh, there's like that 0.5% guys, you know, um, there's a bunch of these guys, they ain't going to be out here at night. They're all going to be around a campfire. They're going to be enjoying that. They're going to be doing what they do, uh, enjoying the camp. Uh, they're, they're not going to be out here. Most of them during the midday, they know our weaknesses and they take advantage of that. So sometimes what we have to do is we have to understand that the, that they are also working us. So what is it that we need to do that everybody else, everybody else is doing so much of it? Like, okay, so how many guys go into the woods with uh, an elk call on during the September? What, what would you say? What percentage? 80, uh, uh, 90? With, with an elk call in September? Uh, yeah. I'm yeah, going yeah. to say it's 99.999%. Exactly. And what is the percentage of people that are killing elk? Lucky, what, you're, you're lucky to see 10 percent yeah right? you're lucky to see 10 percent in any state across the board that's a Correct. high number so if everybody out there has elk calls 99.9 percent then and people are killing elk because they're calling them into an elk call why isn't there 99 percent of us being successful is because we're not all doing the same thing there's you need to take a look at well, what is it that that twelve percent is doing different? What is it that that they are are they just uh, on a hike where they're screaming along all the ridges? Scream, 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 move, scream, move, scream, and you know, I, I'll tell you. For me, I think the biggest part of my success, and I've taken in the last. 36 seasons I've taken in New Mexico, state land, uh, drawn hunt, 36 elk in the last 36 seasons. And the reason for that, and a lot of times it's only a five-day hunt because I guide all the time. So I've had to get it done between teaching, coaching, and guiding. I had to get it done in five days. And I think the some of the biggest reasons for my success is number one, I can talk the language. Well, everybody else is out there talking too. So you're like, everybody has calls. Well, what is it that I'm doing differently? And I'll tell you, everybody that goes out there that tries to call in an elk, tries to engage an elk. So in other words, they're trying to locate that bull gives, you know, uh, response back. Most guys' responses, because they see all the YouTube videos, they see all this, and and it's great to see all that. It's great to be in those places where bulls come in just, you know, blowing snot and everything. But, you know, the first thing they do is they're going to challenge that animal, man. They're going to challenge. They are engaging that animal, right? And I take the exact opposite approach. I've seen that the bulls that want to come into you are not the bulls that you're going, hey, you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. It's the ones where you say, you know, screw you. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to this dude over here, this gal over here, and have your own little thing going on. And when you're not engaging them, when you're not challenging them, when you're ignoring them, they read that as to a different scenario that's occurring and they come in to check that out. So uh, one thing I do is if I can get a bull, if uh, of course, if I get a bull that sounds off and he starts challenging, well, yeah, you definitely go into that mode. But what I have found to be most successful is, is not engaging them, not 
not trying to communicate with my bugles at him saying, well, you and me are now in it together. You're defensive, I'm offensive, or I'm offensive, you're defensive. It's like, no, forget you. I've got another bull I'm trying to keep away over here. I've got my girl right here with me, and I'm tending to this. And that has been way more attractive in getting animals um, for me. And, and man, it, it, that's speaking volumes to me. So, and that was one of the hindsight being 2020, right? One mm-hmm. of the mistakes that I made last year, you know, we get an area bugle, throw a bugle out and not hear anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I l- move on, let out a cow call and get a response. Now, a light response, albeit, but the immediate which is foolish, but the immediate response to getting that light bugle on a return from a cow call was bugle. It is the craziest, (laughs) the craziest (laughs) mindset, right? So as I'm evaluating my approach and, and it's my approach and it's, you know, my misinterpretation of the information. So I'm not trying to down anything that I've seen or heard, but that is, that's the sexiness of it. I want to bugle this bull in. Uh, When I was in Wyoming two years ago, it was all cow calls, never let out one bugle. And, and I had an arrowed bull in 25 minutes after hearing him 45, you know, 50 minutes of being in the woods. But for whatever reason, I got this, you know, I got this tube and mew and he, you know, just light, 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 man, barely audible. And here I am uh-huh. answering him back with a challenge or, you know, and, yeah, right yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, turning it away. I'm turning it yeah, away you from you. Smacked him in the face <laughs> yeah. right away. <laughs> from, and, and, and once on, in a dominant position, I'm uphill. Right. And it's like, right. OK, he's not coming in. So let's ramp this up. Um, and it was and I think that's part of it, too. Right. Is that. That desire to have this escalate really, really fast and this guy charging in, uh-huh. I would never hunt deer like that. I, I am the most patient guy when I'm on my deer hunts. I can watch a deer and stalk a deer for three, four hours, keep an eye on them and never rush the situation. But it, it, again, it's something that is well, strangely I think, confusing. I think I think the elk tend to that, though. I mean, they, they make you lean to that because that deer is going to stay in the same area for how long? And that that animal, man, if you're hearing them now, uh, all of a sudden could be gone in 10 minutes. So a, a lot of time we feel that rush. We feel like we got to get there and make it happen or I'm not going to locate that bull anymore. He's going to disappear. So I think that kind of tends to that sometimes makes us go a little bit uh, impatient. Now, I'm super aggressive. I'm really aggressive in the way I hunt. Uh, But I think people just need to redefine that, that word sexy because to me, the whole thing about it is to beat them at their game, to communicate, to understand, and, and to get them within that bow range, convincing them that I'm one of them. You know, so is that going to sometimes it's going to be a a bugle, sometimes it's going to be a cow call, sometimes it's going to be, you know, me putting on a little scenario. Sometimes it's going to be, you know, just uh, a peep and shut up. I mean, you have to you have to stay dynamic if you try to script everything. And 
there are some things that you can say, oh, okay, I know what's going on here and, and it's going to happen that way. But I swear, man, most of the time when, when that 30 yards happens, they don't come in the spot you thought they were going to, you know, they don't come in the way you thought that they were going to. I mean, I've, I have blown up so many opportunities because I'm just cutting the distance. I'm rushing in. I look up and we're like face to face at 20 yards, you know, because he was hauling butt into me when the, the first five bulls, they didn't even come close to hauling in. I had to cut them, you know, I had to cut the distance to them. So, uh, I think that's what I love about it. It's just so dynamic. But if I could, if I went back to your filtering through the learning curve, I, I think if guys would really spend more time learning their opponent than a set standard or script of what they're supposed to say or do at something. I think if they spent more time learning the behavior of elk and you don't have to, I mean, it helps to be in the elk woods, but you don't have to be there to learn a lot of those behaviors. I mean, we talk about a lot of those all the time. A lot of people talk about them all the time. But if you learn the animal and you learn what makes them tick and, you know, for example, you always hear, uh, I hear a lot of guys in mountain states talking about animals being um, two thirds up the hill, right? You're going to find them in that, in that uh, upper third up there. Uh, well, what about when you're, you're hunting the sages of Wyoming or when you're hunting uh, some of these mesas in, in uh, New Mexico or you're hunting some of those flat areas in Arizona? You don't have that upper two-thirds. So where, where does that come into play? So now you've taken information from listening to all these guys and it's not going to apply to the area that you go to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you, you really have to learn the animal and what happens there. Um, and if you're in an area where it's where they are, you know, where you do have hillsides, where they are going to use upper thirds, where they are going to use the best areas for thermals, then you think about that, man. If I'm moving through areas, do I want to walk across the top of a ridge? Do I want to walk through the middle of the ridge during the middle of the day? Heck no. I want to work that up with upper third. And if you start to get in and really work in that timber in those upper thirds and you find those elk trails, you can see how they move from ridge to ridge in, you know, how canyons and will kind of go up in on the side, the cuts, and they'll just work at the head of that man, just around and around and around until it's time for them to go down. So, you know, I like, I tell people, man, if, if, the best way to find out about elk or when you're hunting elk is find elk trails and those in those areas where they like to move and bed and travel them. You're going to learn a lot about them and you're going to run into them because that's where they're at. So you said something there uh, when you when you started. And we were talking about that tactic. And one of the things, uh -huh. listening to a couple of your episodes, I believe it was the solo episodes. And, right. you know, you guys were talking about, you know, living out of your pack, basically, and, and moving when the elk move, right? If it's 11 o'clock at night and they're yep. getting up and moving and you guys are moving. And I was like, man, that, that right there is magic. That's golden um, if you're in a position to do that. Um, right. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because that was that was pretty intriguing to me last year. You know, we we base camped and we were prepared, you know, for two, three mm -hmm. days outside mm -hmm. of base camp need be. Um, 
And that was one of the things that I was shooting for. Like, okay, look, if we can get on them and, you know, it's late, we're just going to back out a little bit, stay right here, and we'll just continue with them. And, right. and that was when I heard you guys talking about that, I was just like, man, that that solidifies that for me. Yeah, I know. It, it's, it's, it's not something that we always do, uh, but it's something that especially in those tough seasons when opportunities are scarce, uh, you have to create your opportunities. So, again, there's that whole thing that you're going back to, like when the, the plan hits you in the face and you've got to rethink things and you got to make them happen. You know, I mean, we had the first time I did this, uh, it was a really hot season. You know, the critters were hitting the trees fast. They were diving off the sides. And a lot of the areas that we hunt in, um, I mean, you can have 22,000 acres, 40,000 acres, but it's going to be all surrounded by private. And it seems like no matter which direction you go, you end up hitting a private fence. So you're not able to follow the animals. You follow me? So uh, you, you got to take measures to be on them before they get to those areas and stuff like that. And so I, I came back and we had struggled. It had been hot and everything. And I, I came back and told the guys, I'm like, man, we got full moon. You know, forget this. I know that they're traveling across. We're going to go down in the bottoms. We're going to play it against them. We're just going to go to sleep down in one of those drainages down at the bottom. And, and our drainages aren't like Colorado. I'm not talking about, you know, a thousand vertical feet. I'm talking about, you know, breaks where it rolls down and rolls back up and they'll head across those and the scent would come down and we bedded down and, uh, I caught the scent of them cutting across the top about 11 o'clock, uh, pulled everybody off the ground. And I mean, we're just sleeping in our, in our, in our hunting clothes, uh, using our pack as a pillow and, you know, putting our coat on and just sleeping like that. And we jump up, we go, sure enough, I find them. It's a moonlit night. They're bugling, they're going across. So we were able to stay off of them and downwind of them. And we would just sit down, put our back against a tree, kind of catch some Z's. As they started to move off, we would move with them. And we're on them at daylight. And I have used that several times since then. Uh, if that is something that, especially when you're getting down to the last days of the hunt, you know, I'm not one of those people that as I get more tired, I kind of get into that despaired mode. I get even more intense. It's like, I'm going to find a way we're going to make this happen, you know? I'm all over the board, man. But as these things, these questions come up, uh, I'm going to just cool. throw them out there. So so the problem is, is I take you all over the board. I just get like so spastic when I talk about it. No, that's Elgin. fine. It'll just, be a, it'll just be somebody listening, trying to put it together. And it's it's melding together in my head. So it is what it is. <laughs> sure. So I, I, and, and part of this chase, right? I, and, and talking about following them around, there's a misconception, I think, too, is that when we think elk, we think big herds. We think big numbers. We think 40 right. animals, right? right? You look at, right. you look at herd ratios on something like go hunt, right? 17 to 100, right. 24 to 100. Well, shoot last year, um, we were probably 150 <coughs> yards off of a divide, um, mm -hmm. you know, walk down a road and, and found a, found a way that we want to go and explore another area. And one bull, five cows, one calf. Um, mm -hmm. that was the numbers. I mean, those, right. 
how do you follow that? How do you deal with a situation where those numbers are so low? And and for us, that was our only opportunity. Right. Well, the thing is, is, you know, it, it, I'd have to know like the time of the year is that bull sounding off is, is, are there other bulls in the area that's making them sound off? Are they moving? And, and he's just giving a bugle every 10 minutes or every five minutes or every 20 minutes. What, what was the situation happening for you? I, I really, I really think that, so that was on the, let's see, that was on the 17th. Um, uh-huh. We had just started the Equinox and he it, it appeared that he was just gathering cows. Now his bugle, his bugle was you want to talk about barely audible. And when we saw him, uh-huh. it was just we were moving uphill into the wind and he was cross, side hilling on us, going down to water. That's how we saw right. him. We didn't hear anything until after that arrow flew and <laughs> went right over the shoulders. Um <laughs> he kind of doubled back around and the cows were chirping, but the only bugle for him was just and that was it like hey i'm over here you know because i was i was mewing back and it was ooh, i'm here and that was it and they just right. i watched him i watched him feed down from the other side and we're trying to I, again i should play it like more like deer and that was it i mean they were not they were and not what time loud. of day was this this was first light oh this is first light so so they were they were going to a destination then mm-hmm yeah, you could yeah. tell it was it was very intentful because when they did the so loop back have, around. Did you have a dark night or did you have a moon night? That was a, that was our first our first real moon night. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got you've got a bull that most likely because you just got on him right at daylight. I mean, it's not like you bugling him up in the dark. Right. You just hit him during the day. Right. So you, you've got a bull that you have no idea what was going on during the night. Um, you don't know if he's been in search of, if he's been advertising and he found some cows and now he's just kind of, you know, trying to gather up. Uh, uh, was he was he a, just a rag, small bull? He was, a, he was a nice five. Nice five. Yeah. So basically he's, he's a satellite bull and, you know, even though he's gathering those cows, he's getting ready to lose them. But, but, you know, uh, you have no idea what he's been doing at that night. So this is not a guy that has a hot cow. So there's really no reason he's just trying to gather them up. He's trying to get some cows with him. That's the mode that he's in right now. He's not, he doesn't have a hot cow where he's screaming, he's defending. So that's a, that's a tough one to like follow at night. Um, what we what we like to do is is when we go work out and and get out at night and we start talking down into those bottoms or those other areas where we think where they're feeding and they're night feeding and we start hearing bulls because especially if it's a full moon night man these guys will just start going off i mean uh that means a hot cow's happening so these bulls are screaming from all over the place so our groups are going to be you know there's going to be a bull that it's going to have 15, maybe 20 cows. And then there's going to be a, uh, there's going to be satellite bulls on the side that's following them. Or the coolest thing that happens that I really love is when you have uh, one bull that's got his 15 or 20, and then you have another bull further off that's got his 10, his 15, that you have another bull and they're feeding, but a lot of them are going to end up converging towards the same water area in the in the morning or the same feed area because I have found that groups like that, it's not like the herd bull feels 
threatened that he's got satellite that he's fighting off because there's other herd bulls that have got cows or possible hot cow. And it's almost like, you know, we're going to converge and maybe I'm going to come take some of yours. Have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever seen the convergence? No. Or have you not? No. No? No. Haven't been, it, haven't been in the elk woods long enough to make that statement. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. I may have seen it, but didn't know what was happening. Yeah. So it's like the, the, the coolest thing there, they all start working to a destination, whether it be water, whether it be to bed. And a lot of times these herds will kind of head through the same corridor and, and end up right in the same area. And they're going berserk because one of them has a hot cow. The other one might not, but they're bringing their group over there because they're tending them and they can actually leave their group, go over and see if they can get, you know, breed the hot cow and then come back to their group. So it's a, it's like a, whole different situation that when it lights up, it like becomes the perfect storm. And if you can find a bull in the full moon that has a group of cows and he's got either satellites or other bulls around with cows, they are just going ballistic in the moonlight. And that's when it's a primetime opportunity to be able to shadow and follow these guys and be on them right at daylight. And you know, uh, you just keep stuff in your pack so that you have something to eat in the morning. You got stuff to drink. And, you know, New Mexico weather is different than, let's say, if I'm up in Montana and I possibly get snowed on or something like that. It's just a, it's just a, a different environment. Now, do we get rained on and stuff like that? Yeah, we do. But most of the time, our storm is going to happen, you know, late afternoon, that first dark. And it's just a little bit different environment. So, you know, we've, we've learned to work within that environment. So what do you do again? What do you do when, you know, your, your numbers are low, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're not. And, and that was the one thing, like I worked, I, I'm going to say just about every night. There was a couple nights where I was just, I'll just say what it is beyond frustrated. And I was like, man, screw night bugling. I'm tired. I'm beat up. I'm going right. to not bugle tonight. But in the silence, there was nothing. Uh-huh. All right. We weren't, we weren't hearing anything. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm not able to tell you, though, how many times, Guy, that I have had a bull going nuts back and forth with, you know, working him, had an opportunity, and I go over the ridge, and right as I get on the other ridge, I bump into a hunter, and, you know, and I said, how's it going? And he's like, man, they're just not bugling. And there was a bull screaming uh, only probably 600 yards from him that he never had the opportunity <laughs> to hear, Right, you know? Just because the the lay of the land, being in the trees and stuff like that. But to answer your question, my whole thing is, is when all else fails, I start working through bedding areas or just below them uh, or just uh, above them, depending on what's happening with the thermals and stuff. I just start working through and I cow call and uh, and. And what I'm looking for is 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 that uh, that rag, that satellite, or any other bull that is in that area is going to get up and try sneaking in. So I'll try to create opportunities in their bedding areas. I'll go to them, and you know I've I've heard people say, well, if you go in their bedding areas, they're going to blow out and they're not going to go back in there, right? Well, I just don't believe that, man. I, I really don't, and um, I, I've just been. In too many places, too many times, multiple days, and found them in the same place. So 
uh, I don't know if you've heard what I talk about, but I believe there's a difference between elk in high use areas and low use areas that I think elk in high use areas are used to smelling humans and have, have learned how to deal with that, to go around that and go where they want to go. And you take Colorado, for example, even guys that go back and they think that, wow, I'm, I'm way back in there at the, in that high country, I'm eight miles in or whatever they want to go in. Colorado is the most used recreational area for hiking, biking, and uh, all of that, that those elk see people constantly up in those areas. And I just don't think that they're going to blow out of their prime time feed or their prime time bed. You know, they might move over, they might go over the ridge and then come back in a day, but they're just not going to, where are they going to go? You know, I mean, it's not like they're going to just disappear. Mm-hmm. That's how that's just one of my thoughts. That's how it seems. <laughs> Man. And, and I'm laughing at it, but that that is literally how it felt, you know, work in that area. And and they're they're really for me, I don't have an expectation in that first two or three days, right? You're hoping, right. but you're but your information gathering, right? You can do your scouting. Right. And for me, we're driving 18 hours. So right. you know, getting multiple scouting trips and, and having all this time to understand the area area is difficult but going in in june and july scouting and then coming back in september it it really is night and day right what what they're doing their behavior things like that and it's unreal so long story short um you know, two or three days, I'm okay. I'm just moving around. We're gathering information, gathering information. Oh, they're here. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's dry. Where in the world did they go? So then sure. it, it felt like, okay. So what I started doing is I describe it like Olympic rings, right? And we we're doing about seven and a half miles a day in basically uh-huh. this Olympic ring pattern. I'd circle an area, work that area, and then just kind of loop through the area that we had previously worked because I wanted to keep right. eyes on it because we saw sign there. And uh, right. man, it was like, and I, and I say it all the time, right? Uh, big as a house, small as a mouse is the only way to describe the phenomenon of elk in the woods when they ghost you. Right. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, an important thing to find though is 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 not so much where they're at when they bed or where they're at when they eat, but those corridors that they go through to get to those places. Uh, because those areas, I, I think, are the areas that they're going to move through all the time and, and that you can find them going from one place to the other or trying to disappear. And, I, you know, when you when you talk about those animals just disappearing off the face of the earth, <laughs> you know, those, those cows, those cows have to be someplace. They're going to be someplace where they can feed. They're going to go where, where they can feed. And it's not going to be how the bulls dive off into those, you know, straight vertical canyons like that. I mean, they, they can go down one and get up the other side and be in another area where they can eat in no time. I mean, you know, they, they move so much easier than we do. I mean, something to take us an hour to get across. They can get across in 10 minutes, but they're still going to go someplace where they can have feed access, where they can have water access and where they can get to bedding. So I I think the biggest thing is to locate those holes a little bit beyond where everybody is going. And I think so many guys head from trailheads or they head from parking areas and stuff like that, that, um, for us, 
you know, we like to actually, we get off that beaten path and we never really go to where everybody else goes. We kind of just take off in those areas in between where it seems like people are driving by it all the time. And that can even be, you know, it's like, it's kind of like guys will get on a road and say, well, we got to go 12 miles up before we start going into the mountains. When two miles up that road off to the side, there's elk screaming. You don't even know it because you're driving right by them. You know what I mean? Yep. No, I know. I I watched it. (laughs) (laughs) I I watched it, man. We, so, you know, this road we were on, um, it did a 12 mile kind of loop from the divide road. And I watched mm-hmm. vehicle after vehicle after vehicle go down this road. And we were only about a mile and a half in off of the road. And right. I mean, just sign everywhere. Right. I'll be at Noah dead elk, right. but sign everywhere. And I'm like, man, are, after a few days, I'm like, are we missing something? You know, let's, let's take the run tomorrow down this road and see what we're missing. And the only thing we were missing was all the daggum crowds. And it was like, you know, off the road is where everybody typically camps, you know, sets up base camp. I mean, it was empty for a mile and a half and we got down, I'm going to say that five to seven mile mark and every single little space that could be taken by a base camp was just absolutely loaded. And it was like, man, this is, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And we had all this fresh Uh sign, where we were at, and I think the entire time we were there, we probably came across, let's see, we had two guys, actually two guys from California, and then I heard a couple muzzle loaders not too far off. So I'm going to say four to five guys, only two of them that we set eyes on in that entire that in that entire trip that were actually in the woods where we were at. Um, or you'd get the guys driving. And you were on L. Yeah. Well, we were on elk sign. <laughs> that means we were yeah, on elk. Right. But and then we get right. guys driving right by camp and we were kind of tucked back in this this little area. It was like a knoll right there. And they'd pull they it cracks me up to this day. They'd pull up in a truck or they'd pull up on the UTV or on the quad, engine running. And just to the west of us, um, there's a drainage. And they'd sit up on that road with the with the engine running and just crack off bugles. And crack off bugle and crack off bugle. And it was just like, oh, this is painful. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very interesting approach to only bugle, but it's even more interesting to just bugle right next to the, you know, the 67 Chevy that's just rumbling. It was, it was something <laughs> right, yeah. else. Man. Well, you, so I've actually, I've actually been with elk um, bedded down and, you know, the areas that we hunt, there's a lot of four-wheelers, ATVs, or UTVs that come through. And I actually have a herd bedded down. I'm a bull's on the other side of the cows. That's not my opportunity. I'm waiting for him to get up and move, give me my opportunity. So everything's copacetic. Breeze is great. Everything's good. So I'm comfortable. They're comfortable. And I, I can hear through the trees, and I know the roads can't be 100 yards from where they're bedded down through the thick brush there. And... And you hear coming across and it gets louder and their ears are just up and they're just following as it goes. All of a sudden it stops, <laughs> you know, gets off, does a bugle, he waits and then you hear keep going by, you know, the elk, it never even phased them once, man. And I know they had to have smelled the dude because I had the wind coming towards me. So I know 
his wind was going towards them, but it just wasn't threatening. They understood what all of that was that was going on. And to your point that you were talking about the camp, uh, gosh, I think it was three, four years ago, our whole group was camped up high, um, a little higher than this main area of camping where there had to have been, I don't know, there probably was 10 different camps. And the way they were doing it in, in this area, I mean, they had everybody kind of camping in the same area. So first thing in the morning, it's like friggin' NASCAR coming out of there with the UTVs and the ATVs, right? And they're all heading up to the high country. And we're, we're going down towards their camp. Right. And uh, I mean, there's they're just going by us. Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? And we're heading towards their camp. And we hunted an area not three quarters of a mile from that huge camp area and within a mile easy of that and should have killed three bulls in, in that one morning. And all the elk were close to where these guys were camping, but they just felt like they had to get out of there and to go, man. And it's not like the bulls were screaming out there or anything like that. I know they weren't doing that, but the the animals were there. I think so many elk are driven by uh, that it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not a ATV, UTV guy for that reason when it comes to mm-hmm. hunting, right? And, and it's, you know, I step out the vehicle, I'm hunting when when the boot is right. laced up, even before the boot gets laced up. Right. It's total silence at the vehicle. And right. it's all the way out to our destination. If there is one to all the way back, like it doesn't stop for that reason. You could be 100 right. yards into your hunt and there is an animal. Fit for the taken in most cases. Right. You know, it, it's. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's just, um, I think, I think for guys, man, I think it's all, I think you were on the right thing when you said, well, we found sign. And when you're finding fresh sign in an area and when you're finding and smelling, you're smelling elk and you're finding, you know, uh, you know, paint squishable, you know, droppings there, man, uh, that critter's not very far ahead of you, man. They are in the area. So it's just about hunting them now and figuring out how to get those critters into you. And I think if I had to filter everything through the learning curve, going back to your question there, I would make sure that, yeah, I can do a location bugle because that might come in handy. Uh, I I would want to know how to do uh, cow calls. And what I tell people is if you can do a basic cow call, if you can do a basic bugle, you really can do a whole lot more than you think you can because then it's just about adding voice inflection to get emotion or intensity or something like that. But I I would learn those and I would learn then to use uh, my eyes, my ears, and my nose. And, you know, I always tell people and I teach everybody that I work with that you always face everything when you go out there as being a lover before being a fighter. So I hear a lot of people say they don't use cow calls. I use cow calls a lot. And uh, it might be that I have bulls sneaking in on me when I'm doing it. I might hear them coming in or they might uh, they might let me know they're coming in. But that has been something that really works well is is 
they're going to come into sugar more than they are going to come in to get smacked around, man. Right. So, Which, I mean, you hear that analogy all the time, right? Uh, if you're in a bar yeah. and you got the dude coming in, I'm going to sure. take your late, you know what I mean? You're dipping out the back door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, uh, I, I think if, if, if you have a problem, like if your plan gets thrown out the window, uh, things just aren't working, then be dynamic, be dynamic. Like the critters are, uh, find another way really, you know, if anything head another 10 miles, another area and try that spot, you know, because you were locked in. I think sometimes we get so locked in with the plan. I, I, I bet you've done it deer hunting. I bet you've gone out deer hunting and you said, okay, it's starting to get uh, a little bit, uh, you know, towards evening. Uh, I need to be in spot A before the last 15 minutes. So you're like hauling butt to get to an area because that's where you think all the animals are going to be. And in doing that, you blow by a lot of animals sometimes. And I think we get so caught up in trying to do a plan and to hunt a plan instead of hunt the animal. Right. Well, that's why I, I guess told that's you. the I best had, way to put it. I had the script all ready for them. <laughs> they just didn't have, they didn't know we were working off the same, off the same playbook, man. So we've talked some tips and tactics and whatnot. Why don't we get into Elk Bros and the men behind Elk Bros and what you guys have coming up as far as the website and uh, the lessons and tutorials that you guys will be presenting to everybody. Oh, cool. Awesome. So um, anybody that's listened to our podcast, so we have Elk Bros LLC, which is the actual company. And then we have from that, we have the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast, which is a, a product of ours. And, and Elk Bros, the, you know, um, the way that came to be really had to do with just that, had to do with those guys that that I hunt with those guys that I spent all of these years and, and that I spent elk camp with, they're the really, they were the, the fire that got under my butt to be able to, to start to do this. So, um, Leroy Chavez, uh, is my brother-in-law. We are married to sisters and we have been, uh, co-coaches, best friends, hunting buddies. This will be our 39th season of hunting together this year. Chav and I, I call him Chav. His first name is Leroy and, and the family, I'll call him Chav. Um, he was my mentor in coaching as far as track and field went. This guy was like, I mean, he's probably one of the most brilliant track minds that I've ever come across. And I was his mentor when it came to hunting. So it's something that I introduced him to and something that we've done all these years. And you know, hunting elk is my thing. And I've been bow hunting elk now for, gosh, uh, yeah. So I was 20 when I killed my first elk. I was 19 when I saw my first one. My wife and I, we got married at 20. My wife, Loretta, um, uh, the love of my life. And we got married at 20. And I am a backwoods Carolina guy that, um, you know, our family was um, 
just that, man. We survived off hunting. We put food on the table. And I am the first person in my family to go to college. So I come out here. Uh, I'm, I'm, I marry Loretta. I marry into her family. I meet Chav. Um, he gets me involved in, in coaching with him. I get him involved in hunting with me. And, and we got married so young. We were those poor college kids, right? Um, you know the ones, the, the ones that uh, they hold up the gas you know, pump, <laughs> they hold up the hose to get every ounce. Right. And, uh, and when we got married, we had nothing, man. I mean, zero. And we were probably, we were so poor, we couldn't afford the OR. We would just po, right. <laughs> just <laughs> flat out po. So, uh, I had my bow, I had my shotgun and I, augmented our table with stuff from the woods and um, from the rivers and and did that. So I'm on a deer hunt at the age of 19 uh, here in uh, Las Vegas, New Mexico. I'm out in the woods when I have the first, man, when I saw this critter come through the woods and walk by me, I was like, like I said earlier in the, in this show, I mean, I'm buddy, I was home. Right. So, uh, I had to do that. And I ended up being able to hunt with some guys the first time at uh, the age of 20. And I take my first cow elk. And since then it's been just this, this love affair of hunting elk. I mean, that is my critter. And, uh, I've learned all of these things along the way, bow hunting them. I've managed on state land, public land, uh, to take 34 elk in the last 34 years, I'm 36 years with my bow. So I've had a lot of success as far as that goes. But I, I, I can tell you though, guy, when, when people, the reason I know that number is because I didn't keep count. I had guys that I hunted with that were like, after 16 years of being with, they're like, Joe, do you realize you've taken 16 elk in the last 16 years? And I was like, uh-huh. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I didn't, I did not think it was a big deal because that was my goal to get that tag, get that meat, put that in the freezer and have it for the house. And as I kept going through, people started to recognize some of my skill sets and um, I started guiding. I started guiding other bow hunters, started guiding other rifle hunters. I've guided now for over 20 years, probably 25 plus years that I've guided elk hunters. And I've done this as, as I went through college and I became a teacher coach. That was kind of my that's my getaway. That's what I understand. That's where I go. But I have been a coach for all of these years. And when I started guiding guys, you know, I am not a point and shoot guide. I'm the type of person that I am a coaching guide. And all of these years as we've gone, I've had people tell me, you know, God, you teach me so much. Why why don't you do something to teach other people? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe and I've written an article here and there. I've done this, that, you know. But um, so about three, four years ago, um, it started in elk camp with my elk bros. And the elk bros are, are Chav, Gilbert Ornelas, who has been a client of mine for, um, this is our 11th season hunting together. He began as a client and became a great friend, that relationship that, that you develop. And that's what I, I don't think a lot of people understand about guides, man, is that uh, there's different types of guides out there. 
but most of us, man, we just love to friggin' hunt. And we, we love that camaraderie. We love that relationship, you know, and I've never been a point shoot guy. So, um, I developed this relationships. We went and, uh, Gilbert had brought some other guys to our camp. And if you listen to our podcast, you, you'll hear about the Venezuela mafia. Uh, <laughs> that's Manano and Luis. So really that is kind of the core of the elk bros. We have now been hunting together that group as, um, probably this is our fifth season. And like I said, I've hunted, uh, this will be my 11th year hunting with, with Gilbert. But the reason that, that, this is the Elk Bros is because, you know, it was um, two years ago because I started Elk Bros a year from this last February. So it was that September before that we're in Elk Camp. And at one point, Luis comes up to me and he says, Joe, he says, man, you you just have so much knowledge and I learned so much from you. You got to start sharing this stuff. And I said, you know, dude, I thought about writing a book, but I just can't sit down at a typewriter. And and they just kind of stayed on me. And, and before we got done with the hunt, Manano comes up to me. And if you've ever heard these guys um, talk, they're both from Venezuela. That's why we call them our Venezuela mafia. And, you know, they are some of the best human beings in the world. And Manano comes up to me and he says, Joey says, what is it, man, that's keeping you from sharing this with the rest of the world? Is it money? Is it time? Is it something? Because if it's money, he said, dude, we'll help you with it. We want to, we want other people to experience what you've helped us to experience. And he says, man, he says, you know, we believe in you. We believe in what you do. And I have learned so much. You have to do something to share this. And it kind of lit a fire under me, guy. And it was February that year. Um, I am, I had been online and I had done some stuff with my students. I, as a teacher, I taught all the media arts. I taught video production, graphic design, web design, um, broadcasting, and that skill set that I had, I started seeing things that people were putting out, utilizing the internet. And um, I was like, man, I, you know, that is my wheelhouse right there. And I was like, you know, I think I could do this, man. I think I have the skill sets that most people have to pay for to be able to do this thing. And I went and I started Elk Bros. I went and I got the company name. I got the domain. I called the guys and I said, hey, it's going to happen, man. We're doing this. And, you know, they lit the fire under me. They actually sparked this, their belief in me, their trust in me, uh, their support system. And so, you know, with Chav and Gilbert and those guys, I developed the name Elk Bros, first of all, to honor that relationship that Chav and I have had for 38 years and to honor those guys that have shared my Elk Camp with me. So that's where the name comes from. It's not that I'm trying to exclude uh, anybody. It's not that uh, I don't uh, want women involved in this uh, activity. Most definitely. I have two daughters, man, and um, one of them is an incredible shot and has taken her own elk. But it was to honor that group that lit the fire under me. And um, so 
Elk Bros was born. And the whole goal was to create an online course similar to something I had the great opportunity to, to teach high school kids an elk hunting course. And dude, let me tell you what, when I did that, when I saw how these young people that had never hunted before, that had never really experienced the outdoors, how most of them looked at a tree line with fear. You know, it was like they never wanted to go into that, man, because it took them out of their element and they were worried about getting lost, about starving, about dying, you know, and to, to see how these kids changed. I had boys and girls in the course. It involved every part of elk hunting. And we started out with, just like I start my online course, we started out with the bigger picture, talking about ethics, talking about honor, talking about integrity, those things, the responsibilities that need to be taught so that we are showing young people the right way to do things. So we're propagating that ripple effect out there. So all of this that I did was to develop this course. And it's so funny because in starting to develop the course, I knew I'd have to start building up a base, basically a target audience. So I said, Hey, you know, um, my first thing was YouTube channel, right? YouTube was like huge at the time. And I was like, well, let's do this YouTube channel. And I tell you what, since we're doing that, I'll, I'll do a podcast right along with it. You know, we'll, we'll do the video, we'll do the audio, and we'll start developing our base by giving all this free content, by coaching other people that are wanting to learn and wanting to experience this because we truly believe as a group what we do changes lives. So that was the basis behind this. So we started the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast and Blue Collar Elk Hunting because, you know, everything I've done over the demographic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, man. And I mean, as an elk guide, I get the opportunity to guide guys on places I could never afford to go right? Mine's always been state land. It's always been draw. And so there are so many people out there. And, and look, uh, I don't know if I said this earlier, but I have nothing against gear. Absolutely zero. But in fact, man, all of us would like to get something as we go, something that makes life a little easier, right? But oh, God, you're talking to the wrong guy about gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but gear, dude, should never keep people out of the Absolutely. woods. The lack, yeah. you know, they, they they can go out and experience this because, dude, I'm telling you, you know, when you heard that I said those guys said, Joe, you've killed 16 elk in the last 16 years. At the time, man, I'm eating peanut butter and jelly, uh, eating bologna sandwiches. I'm hunting in tennis shoes. I probably have a hundred dollars worth of gear on me. In fact, probably at that time, um, the bow, the first bow that I bought was, a um, was a PSC Nova. It's 99 bucks off the shelf. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, and, uh, aluminum arrows, uh, shooting wasp broadheads and, um, it just, um, 
it was not expensive, man. I could not afford to be expensive. Raising two girls, new family, new job, couldn't do that. So when I did blue collar elk hunting, it's to show people that you can do this and you can do this right without having to spend thousands of dollars to go out there. And to so put, I'm sorry, Joe, to put that in perspective, you're shooting a bow to this day that is... I think you said 15 years old. Um, yes, sir. That. So, I mean, dude, I'm a gear junkie. Like I'm not, I, I have a, <laughs> I have, and I'll, and I'll see something and I'll go, I don't need it, but man, I really want to try it. Um, that's where my problem is. It's not that I need it to get in the woods, but I just, I just like gear. But <laughs> well, dude, that's your, I mean, if that's your hobby, if that's your thing, some people well, like to paint, some people, you know what I'm saying? Well, so. hunting's my thing and gear is like this weird side shoot of this crap. <laughs> Actually, I've done really good this year, man. I've, I've beaten all my uh beaten all my demons this year thus far um but my point is you're you're still doing it that way um right. even you know even today at, and batting oh. at a 98 percent um 34 out of 36 <laughs> and it's the same way today that says a lot yeah well and to be Let's be completely transparent here. Remember, I shoot bare bow. I shoot fingers instinctively, right? So um, I do shoot compound. Um, my bow is a, a reflex caribou. It's the same bow that Chuck Adams had made for him to shoot from Hoyt. And uh, <laughs> really, dude, there's not many bows that I can shoot these days. I mean, everything's what, 30 to 36 inches, you know, and which would be extreme finger pinch for me to even get a new bow these days. I got to take a look at some of these really a little bit longer, um, almost like target bows that are going to cost upwards to 1500 bucks, man. And as, that's just a hard pill to swallow for me. You know, it's uh, especially, you know, me and my boy there, man, we're, we're walking through the woods and we're killing elks so right. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't have to fix what's not broken exactly right? so um i will tell you this i do shoot carbon arrows i shot aluminum until two years into after i had met gilbert ornelas and i mean we're out there one day and he's like have you tried these carbons you know this and this like no man i i can't afford them puppies I, i'm i'm happy with my xx75s we're getting it done right and uh after that hunt i get this package in the mail and and I open it up and it's, a, you know, it's a dozen uh, uh, carbon arrows. And I'm like, that son of a gun, man. You know, it's really cool of him and everything. And, I'm, and so I go out and I start shooting these carbons. Now my these arrows are flying so flat that when you're instinctive, it really brings together that whole thing in your head. Uh, I don't know if you, it's kind of like your pins, right? Your pins start getting closer together. Right. So there there's less of an error factor in judging distances when you do that, because I don't use a rangefinder. Everything is just from practice. It's just from judging. It's just from um, my mind and, and all the practice that I do with it. So the carbon kind of changed that a little bit. I call him up and I was pissed, man. I was like, you son of a buck, man. Send me these things. Get me hooked just like a drug pusher. You know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, and you know what's funny about that guy is um, I never changed my broadhead. So, I mean, I was shooting um, a 125 grain wasp uh, 
broadheads, kept those on there. I liked the heavier front on it. I, I, I liked the, the, the hit that was coming out of that, the power that was coming out of that. And now here lately, everybody has kind of changed from that light arrow. You know, you got that, uh, you know, that weight front of center now, and everybody's kind of going to that. And it's interesting how that came back to something that I was already doing. So, so with that, that we created, um, the podcast, we created the YouTube channel and what was crazy to me was I, where I thought it was really going to go off on YouTube. It wasn't the YouTube that took off. It was the podcast. It just like exploded. And it seemed like, you know, we're getting all these emails and these letters from guys that are doing all this window time or driving to work or, or in the gym. And, and they're just consuming this stuff. And it, it's, it's been awesome. I mean, that first week, <laughs> You know, we did this. I, I called Gilbert. I go, dude, we got 30 listeners, man. <laughs> we were just so stoked to have 30 listeners. And we have never taken any of this lightly. I mean, currently, we're just a little over a year with the podcast. We're getting ready to pop our 100,000th download. Um, we have listeners in close to 5,000 U.S. cities. It says like 50-some countries, but you look there, and I, I don't know why in, in Timbuktu they're listening, you know, one one time i got the answer i got the answer because i didn't know either yes sir because i'm going why in the world do i have an iranian listening to western contours and what i found out right yeah i had a guy reach out to me and he said hey man my buddy told me to send you a message and it was actually someone that i had on the podcast and he and really Uh what it was is one of our soldiers was overseas and he was listening to episodes so i i make an assumption that those weird downloads are things like that and it makes me feel great so that might be the case there man well hey man if if it if it makes you feel good i mean I, <laughs> what what i love is man I, we do shout outs every week um i was gonna ask about something that. <laughs> you, oh you were huh yeah <laughs> all right ask away so I, I understand it so okay so somebody shouts out and then you just have some odd random fact about the place they're in yeah. Right. So, yeah, do you, so is that something they tell you or, hey, no, look, no. this is the city and you guys go and you look for that odd fact? Yeah. So I do all the research for that because and, and believe it or not, my prep for our show, that's one of the longest things to prepare for our show. Because when it comes to talking about elk, <laughs> you know, uh, we know that. Right. But um, so what I do is I, I go every week and any city that we have not already talked about, right? Um, I go down the list and we eliminate, we take a look at those top listening cities. And a lot of times now what's starting to happen is people are wanting to get the shout out. So, you know, they're listening right away. So I look at those top listeners right away and I see, because uh, I I go through Buzzsprout and Buzzsprout shows you all the different places where everything's coming from. And we look, we find who those top listeners are. And then I go in and I research to find a random fact, something positive, something cool, something different, um, so that I learn something and to honor our listeners and to keep it personal and to make sure that they understand how much we appreciate them listening in. in, uh, Yeah, I think 
where I got the idea was on one of my shows, I think I did one shout out to somebody and I was like, man, we sound like, uh, um, hee haw. Cause when I was a kid, yeah, you remember hee haw at all? Barely. <laughs> Dude, so hee haw was like, you know, um, uh, they'd come up and say, you know, we want to give it, uh, to, Maxwell, New Mexico, population 600. Yeehaw! Man, they would do that, you know? And they would recognize different places around the United States. And, and dude, we would listen to Yeehaw just waiting to get him to, to shout out uh, the, the name of our town, man. We thought, whoa, we were been high cotton then. And, and just how that made me feel, I was like, we should be doing that for other people. And, and, you know, the thing is, it's an elk hunting podcast and I have, we get so many different letters. We get all these emails, uh, we get texts from people and, and, uh, I, I always ask people, so tell me how you feel about the shout outs. Is it a waste of time or what? And a hundred percent that I have asked of people out there have said, no, I love it, man. Because, uh, I, I, we just love the personal part of it. We like hearing something a little bit different. We know the content's coming and uh, they enjoy it. So, you know, uh, it's been, it's been something different. It, I think it makes it a little bit of a show. So it, it um, actually, it, it's a cool aspect of the show. Right. And, and, you know, and that's when I catch it when I'm driving and, uh, I was there's some man that is like what in the <laughs> really <laughs> that that's where um, but no it's it's I don't know I, maybe because I I like those little odd random fact things I think they're pretty yeah. cool you know and then and ag- again that personal aspect of it how can you not how can you not have that personal aspect hunting is personal to all of us that do it. I think, uh, most right. of us, I should say, um, right. I, yeah, I agree. It's just that, that's just a nice touch, right? It's like the cherry on the cake, so, if you will. So I had never been to the Midwest. I had never been, um, I had never been, uh, I've gone to South Dakota. We had never been above South Dakota and never been above Wyoming. And, you know, we're doing shout outs to these cities. We're doing, you know, Sioux Falls, you know, we're doing all these different places and all these places in the Midwest. And we have such a following from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, you know, all these different Midwest states. And uh, I got an invitation to go up and Dude, I made a point as we were traveling, we took three days just to get to our location. We were going to a buddy's house in Minnesota and we went through all these places that we were doing shout outs for. I'm buying the T-shirt, man. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, there are actually falls in Sioux Falls, right? (laughs) You know, it was just uh, I I love the whole aspect of learning. I've learned so much about different places in the United States that I had no clue. And, you know, I mean. Uh, I actually got caramels from Dubuque, Iowa, you know, from the travestine nuns up there. And uh, it's it's like, it's just way cool. So the podcast is what exploded. And we've got all this stuff building. And this whole time, it's so funny because those things started taking so much of my time. It was hard to do what I originally wanted to do in building the the, um, our training camps. So that is getting ready. Our first training camp, which is, it is online course. Um, it is elk 
coaching oriented is getting ready to come out and we actually have on our in our blue collar elk hunting academy we have three different training camps we've got our base camp we have our spike camp and our summit camp and our base camp is going to be the first one to come out it's the most important to me i mean it is the foundation whereas you know you could say that's kind of like a beginning to intermediate but this that course, that base camp has anything and everything for anybody that wants to learn about elk hunting. And it's done in a totally different way than anybody would ever expect. And, you know, from there we have the spike camp, um, which is that intermediate to a little more advanced. And then the summit camp is more of those advanced strategies, techniques, and ideas. In fact, we do, I talk about a lot of things in that that are meant for guides and outfitters, you know, when you're trying to work with other people as well. So a lot of those strategies and techniques. So it it just takes it each one to a little bit different level. And we do it so that the reason I did that is I didn't want to throw all this information at people and just lose them. And uh, if, if they want something that's a little more advanced, hey, they can buy that after they do the basic or they can do a combination purchase. It's up to them. But our base camp, well, it's enough for anybody that's never done it to people that have been doing it for 10 and 15 years. I think everybody's going to find a nugget in our base camp because of the way the focus is. So that's the one we're trying to get out first. And um, if you, I, I showed you our, our camps, right? I got you to go into it. And I explained to you um, how this is different from any other online course or any other type of educational class, in fact, because I do this with a coach's strategy. All right. So do you want me to explain that? Yeah. Why don't, yeah. Let's talk about how you flipped it on its head. Um, yes. And work backwards there. <laughs> So the way that I do this is most most courses or classes, anything that you go in is pretty much what I call a pyramid type thing. If you look at a pyramid, you, you have all of the information on the bottom, right? You have where you want to achieve, what you want to do all the way at the top, but you get all of this base information. And as you learn that, hopefully you start to build and build till you get to the top. The problem with that kind of instruction is when you're down there getting that information, you don't know what pertains to to you. You don't know where it is taking you. You don't know how that's really going to tie into your goal. There's just so much there that it it kind of reminds me um, of like a, a video game where uh, you take like a, a game where you're going through and you boom, you fall through a hole. Well, you get to start from the beginning and you go another route and then you fall through a hole and you keep going until, oh, I get to the next level. Now I know how I got there, but you still don't know where you're going. You don't know what the next level looks like, why it's there, and how it relates to what you're doing right now. And because of that, in coaching, we do just the opposite. I, and I'll give you an example. Uh, take a look at the best teams out there that are always winning. You ask yourself, why are those teams always winning? And I can tell you why. It's because they have already practiced and understand and know what it's like to be at their final goal and their final destination. In other words, you take a football team, those teams that 
man, when it comes down to that two-minute drill to get that last field goal and to kick that in to win, how many times do you see great teams do that? Because they know what that looks like. They've practiced it. They've already been there. They know what it is to be at that point in the game and to finish. They know how to finish. you got basketball teams that practice that there's 2.2 seconds on the clock maybe there's only 1.2 seconds on an inbounds play what we're going to do to be able to score and win that game right um as a track coach i taught kids how to lean when they're at a finish line so that they are going to out lean somebody and win that race they know what it's like because they've been there all right so what I do with this course is I completely flip this. This is not a bottom-up course. This is a top-down. And, and here's how I explain it. If you take a look at elk hunting, there are so many variables as to what can happen for you to get from point A at your house to that point where you have an elk in front of you at 20 yards and you're getting ready to tap off, right? There are so many variables for that happen. I mean, there are millions of combinations that it takes guys years and years of being that video game going and falling through the hole and then trying again and figuring, oh, that worked. Well, what did I do that just worked? What applies to me? What works for me? And they continue to do that. Well, I start at the one thing that the one moment is that is in the most control for any elk hunter. And that is that final moment when that elk is in front of you, um, when you are getting ready to close the deal. I start off teaching guys how to close the deal because understand this. Look, there are going to be guys, plenty of guys that are going to go out and not have a clue. It happens every year. There are people that just dumb into an elk and they have an opportunity. There's a lot of guys that do things and they're not sure how they got to that point, but now they have an elk in front of them, right? And they just don't know how to close the deal. So even though they got to that opportunity that they've been striving for for that year, maybe two years, maybe four years, maybe six years, they got there and they just did not know how to finish because they didn't know what that looked like. So you go to my course and take a look at our our components and how we do this. I explained to everybody, I take the pyramid and I invert, invert it. It's different than any course we ever take. Our first component is closing the deal. Understanding that animal's anatomy, understanding shot placement, where your shot has to go. The most, uh, the, the one shot that we promote and what we are looking for as your elk hunting coaches, we want two holes. We want a double lung shot. Um, does that mean that a heart shot is not a lethal shot? Well, as your elk hunting coach, I not only want you to kill that animal, I want you to recover it. And to ensure that recovery, I want two holes because that's going to put blood on the ground. It's going to make the tracking job easier. And I guarantee you, yes, that heart shot is going to kill that animal. 
But if you put it right behind that shoulder, and this is what 34, 36, 40 years of experience brings, I have seen so many times an arrow go in, get sheared because it did not go all the way through. It gets sheared off by that uh, leg bone going back. And right there in that area, they have that loose flap of skin that starts making that animal bleed internally. So even though that animal is going to die within a certain distance, it makes the tracking job very difficult. Right? Oh, you follow man. me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so my where, where I want people to hit is mid-body, three inches to four inches behind the crease. And that's going to go, tum, tum. it's going to go through. It's going to deflate that animal. It's going to double lung it. And that animal is going to go down between 10 and 30 seconds within 100 yards. Guaranteed, man. I don't care if it's an elephant, a mouse, a dinosaur. You take out both lungs, they are going down in no time. They, it, it's just, it's biology, man. It's going to happen that way. So we teach that, man. We teach the shot, how people to shoot within themselves, whether it's archery or rifle. And then from that component, we start coming backwards. So we've got finishing, man. We've got you closing the deal. And then from that, well, what setup did I need to be able to take me to closing the deal? But now when you're in that second component, every lesson that you have directly relates to that goal, to that final punch right there, man. You have seen it. You understand it. So now when you step backwards, everything you do relates. And now you're finding your own channel, what works for you, whether you're a solo setter, whether you're a group hunter, um, whether you are in great shape, whether you're somebody who's going to be, as you start coming backwards, you start defining your path and it helps you to understand where you're going. Are you know, from that setup to success, right? From setups, going back, oh, I just got a response, man. How do I deal with the response? And then going back from the response to calling. So you see, we're taking it backwards, but as we take it backwards, it directly associates with what you're doing. And it's something that is going to make so much sense to people when they do it, man. And uh, I, I can tell you, I coached at a little, small, tiny high school in Cimarron, New Mexico, a single A school. We had 80 to 100 kids in our school, 9 through 12. We would go to 5A meets with schools that had 2,000 kids, 3,000 kids, and we would go and kick butt at that meet because we knew what it was like to finish. We knew how to work. We knew how to work together. We did not think about or let our mentality ever make any changes because we were small and you shouldn't make any changes in what you're doing because you're hunting with a bow, man. I mean, it's just all, it's that mindset. It's understanding the steps. It's understanding where you need to get to and how to get there. Right. So uh, I'm sorry. I get all excited. No, man. That, I start no, that's talking fine. About this that, that's why I haven't interrupted. <laughs> I'm just scrolling through, scrolling through the website. And one of the things, you know, look, I'm, I'm in base camp right now. And mm-hmm. as I go down and I look at these components, I mean, they are, they are loaded with information. Um, I mean, you yes, even sir. talk about inverting the pyramid and why you did that. Um, but I mean, like component one, right? It's outline form. Right. You have, you know, first things first, you go into responsibility and ethics. I mean, this is breaking it down to the the minute detail, right? Peeling back the onion yes. layers, if you will. And then you go down right. here and it's like, 
let's see, we have the shot, right? And you have, wow. Yeah. Three A or excuse me. Yeah. Three A through three J three J point one. And then you go into firearms. So it's not just the archery setup. Um, yeah. And I, and I don't want it just to be a bunch of words. I, I want it to be stuff that is pertinent, that means something. I, I don't have to put a lot in there. It has to be something that people understand and that means something and relates with where they just came from so that they know where they're going, right? So, and the other thing that we do with this course is there's there's video in there. There's a lot of where I explain things through video. We try to add some other stuff on the side, you know, with that. Plus in every section that we have, it's going to be an audio so that you don't have to read. You can listen to it because I'm just one of those people. I just don't like to read a whole bunch of gray, man. I, I, I would rather listen anytime. That's just how, when I hear something, it sticks, right? When I read something, I might have to read it three or four times. So, um, you know, people that go here are going to hear a lot of my voice, uh, just like, you know, they're listening to a podcast. So uh, there's going to be a playlist where they can listen to it as well. But you're right, dude. Take a look at each one of those components and tell me that there's not things in there that would not apply even to a more advanced hunter, right? Um, I try to keep things basic in a sense, but at the same time, give guys enough tool sets so that uh they can go just a little bit beyond that right so okay so while we're while we're talking about the the components here um right and yeah there's there's stuff for everybody and i'm just in base camp um right which one did i just see? i'm scrolling through everything i lost my train at the daggum thought uh, <laughs> we have so we so like this one here right we have elk modes so Explain that that one to us. And then I'd like to talk about basic calling decision trainer to understand that those are just one offs that as I'm scrolling through that I'm standing out that are standing out to me that I've never really seen or heard in in talk anywhere else. Yeah. So, you know, in fact, elk modes is actually I'm going to talk about basic modes. And then as they go into spike camp, it's going to get a little bit more um uh, advance as we go with that. But I, but guys need to understand that. And I think that's the biggest problem is a lot of times. Okay. So in one of my podcasts, I talk about the fact that, uh, that, and I think earlier in this, I talk about that, you know, so many guys are going to go out there with calls, right? Um, but yet, uh, 100% probably going to have calls. And a lot of guys are going to be doing the same things, but there's only going to be 10% guys, 9%, if that, you know, that are going to be successful. And it's because, like we said before, they know the how, but they don't know the why. And they don't understand the different modes that those guys are in. And, you know, uh, a bull is going to be in different modes. And, and you've heard some guys break this down from pre-rut, right, to rut, to post-rut, like that. Well, I even go like, the, you know, and they've said early season pre-rut, kind of like that. Well, I between pre-rut and rut, there's what you, what I call rut staging phase. And, the, you know, those bulls that are in a certain mode, like when you talk about the pre-rut, those bulls in that mode, they're not really thinking about um, the rut necessarily, they're developing pecking orders, man. They're, they're, they're really starting to, they're just wrestling around with the, with the guys, man. They're still hanging together. They're bachelor groups. So the mode that they're in is different. It's not that they're wanting to, um, 
you go scream at those guys, you might as well be screaming at the moon, man. It ain't going to do any good. <laughs> they could care less. They're not in that mode, man. Their testosterone is not there yet. Their mode is they're in pal mode, man. They're in buddy mode. They're just like the elk bros in camp, man. They want to hang out. They want to know what other bulls are in the area. They're starting to develop a pecking order so that when it comes time to start breeding cows, they they know who's in line and who's where. Um, that's a particular mode. Then when you get to that, what I call that that uh, staging mode, now you've got it's not quite that um, pre-rut and it's not quite rut. It's kind of like a mixture. And what's happening to in this time is, got to remember, cows can come in heat at any time. Well, I, you, you get some cow pheromones in the air and it changes the whole game, man. They, they can go from buddy mode to pissed off and get out of my face mode really, really quick, right? Uh, if, if that happens. So I talk and explain those different modes because when guys call, they want to understand those modes so they know why they're saying a certain thing, right? And, you know, uh, that, that's kind of where that is. And it talks about those phases. So when to hunt, you got to understand your modes. You got to understand what to do during those modes, what's going to be effective and why you're doing it. And that's going to help you be more successful. But you're talking about component nine, right? So when you're talking about as, as you're going backwards, as you're looking as I'm going backwards from calling elk, right? Well, I go from calling elk to finding elk. So uh, some people are like, well, um, aren't you going to call to find them? And that's not necessarily, I mean, I talk about what you have to do to put yourself in position so they're going to heal, hear those calls. I talk about the gutsy hunter. I talk about where are the elk when they're pressured? I talk about night bugling. So I talk about how to find them. And then that's going to, you're going to now all the calling part of it is going to make direct sense. Again, it relates. And I go from finding out backwards to understanding. And, and, and you'll see before I get any further back, I talk about hunting etiquette because, you know, <laughs> this, I talk about the bigger picture all the time, bro. And uh, I, I, this whole reason for this course is not just so that guys can go out and punch their tag. Yes, that's what I want them to do, but I don't want a piece of crap out there punching their tag. I want responsible, ethical people that are teaching the bigger picture and and making this better for all of us that are passing on heritage to their kids, to their brothers, to their cousins, to their nephews. So, you know, it's like when I coached, yeah, I could have state champions, but I didn't want a bunch of turds on my team. I wanted quality individuals that are going to go out and contribute to society. And that's the same thing that, that when I teach this stuff to elk hunters, that's why even when you take a look at that very first, very first component, I start with first things first, responsibility and ethics, you know, and, and we talk about that immediately to get that mindset in already. So it's underlying through everything that they do. Right now, you mentioned the um, elk calling decision tool. Right. So basically, oh, man, wait till you see this puppy, man. So basically, it's almost where you start that and you have a scenario and the scenario gives you a situation of what's going on time of year, time of day, everything like that. And 
and it might say that you've just heard this and it says, and it says, what should be your most likely next step? Because I can't say it's the exact thing that you should do, but the, it, it's kind of like the best option. And then it'll give you options like, okay, so it's, it is that pre-rut phase and you hear um, a, a bull chuckle uh, up on the side of a hill. And what should you do? Oh, man. So you scream a lip ball at that guy. No, heck no, you don't do that, man. Because that's not the mode that guy's in when he's chuckling up there, man. It's just, uh, it's a very passive type call. Or if he just gives a location bugle just to let him know where he's at, or you hear him raking like that. At that time of year, you don't want to do certain things. So it's an it's a decision thing that's going to say, okay, if you make this choice, it's going to say, well, you need to go back and take a look. This is why you would not do this. And it gives you a little bit of a hint so that you go back and then you start to go, okay, maybe I should make this decision then. And as you use this decisions tool, it keeps taking you. Like the first thing you do is when you hear that location bugle, um, you're going to see a choice. It's going to say, you scream a bugle, you give a location bugle back, or you cut the distance, right? Well, that right decision is going to be immediately cut the distance. So it just gets that thought processing. And then after you make that decision, the next step comes up and then the next step until you're at that position to be able to finish and close the deal. So that's what that um, calling decision tool is. It's a trainer. It's basically a trainer. The, the one of the things that, that, you know, just scrolling through it that I like is that you don't necessarily like if I'm in, you know, component six, understanding elk, right? There might be things in mm-hmm. here and I'm not suggesting that anyone skip ahead. Um, right. But the one thing I like is I may not want to look at they are not whitetail. Um, but right. I can go down here and look, oh, nine point, you know, three point one key factors, and we start talking thermals and understanding Absolutely. thermals, um right. hunt and wind strategy. So it's even broken down beyond thermals, right? And that's a discussion. Oh goodness, we could do a podcast four, five, six on thermals and then do four, five, or six on wind and its effect on thermals. <laughs> Cause I think oh, a lot of times totally. they are they are talked about or thought as one in the same, which sorry, they're not. And they're no, and they're not. Yeah. And like you said, we could have a whole podcast on that, man, because people, people don't, thermals, thermals are not guaranteed. I mean, just because it's rising, because it's going up, you get a cloud that comes over in one section, it's going to be different than, you know, than 400 yards away, a half mile away. Yeah. Go go into some dark timber. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah. There are certain places that bulls will select to bed down because I don't care what happens. There's always going to be a prevailing breeze come through a certain way and, and it's going to help them and they know it and they understand it. And it's so hard to move in on them because of the way it is. You almost have to come over the top or something like that where they think, you know, they've never had anybody do that to them. I mean, freaking elk are smart. And they learn quick, man. They learn real fast. People think that elk, you know, they say, well, they smell a human, man. They're, they're gone. They're, they're history. They're out. And uh, just because it, it freaks them out when they smell human scent. 
not any human scent that freaks them out. Just go look at Estes Park or take a look at all these pictures on IG, man, where you got bulls looking in people's windows or they're walking through the city. It's not human scent that freaks them out. It's human scent where it shouldn't be at the time it shouldn't be there that freaks them out. So, uh, you know, there's so much to learn in that area. Yeah, you're right, man. Now, and that's what I like about this course. That's why I set it up. People can go wherever they want in the course. I set it up in a way to be able to make sure that they understand and relate. And I guarantee you, if I was anybody, the most important part of this course, I would make sure. And I state it very right up. If there's any other thing that you, the only thing you learn in this course, learn how to close the deal. Because there's a lot of you guys that are going to find yourself face to face with an elk. You might not know how you got there. You might not know why you got there, but you're there. And if you just understand this component, you will finish the deal quickly, ethically, and ensuring that both you and that animal don't go through a long day. And that means a lot to me. So let's run through. Let me see. Where do I start? I mean, you're in component nine. Where do I start? So we got equipment, gear, physical fitness, mindset, and metal fitness. So let's talk about that mindset and metal fitness. And that's one of the big right. things on the podcast and with Elk Bros, period, is right. being a grinder. Um, that yeah. is something I hold dear to my heart. Um, and that's one of the things that attracted me to Elk Bros um, uh-huh. is that never quit, get knocked down, get back up mindset. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of call it, um, there was things that happened in my life that uh, I, I call it a unicycle mentality. And uh, the, the reason I call it that is because I can remember um, my stepdad, there were six of us kids and we lived out in the boonies of the Carolinas and uh, where he got it, how he got it, I have no clue. But one day um, he, he brings he brings home a unicycle and he takes it out in front of all of us kids and he says, here, this is a unicycle. I'm going to give it to you guys uh, to to have fun with it, but I guarantee you in two weeks, all of you are going to be done with it and I'll be taking it someplace, right? So, he, I mean, he laid that, you know, he just threw down the gauntlet right there, right? <laughs> as far as I was concerned. And you know what? Um, out of the six kids, five had started messing with it. And I mean, six started messing with it and five of them said, uh, I'm done with that, man. And there was one and and that was me. And I refused to lose, man. I, I cut up ankles. Um, I, you know, I went through band-aids. I did all this stuff. I fell so many times, got right back up on it. I'd get a little bit further each time and just keep working that, man. And it was just that mentality of I had to conquer that, man. I just had to do it and I had to find a way to do it. And before it was done, um, we didn't even have paved roads. We had gravel roads, you know, where we lived and uh, dirt roads and stuff like that. And I was going all over the place on that unicycle and people would look at you and they would see you on that unicycle and it was like, yeah, I'm doing this. (laughs) 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 I would go up hills, man. I would go uh, into places with it. I mean, I lived on that doggone unicycle and the whole thing was I, I wanted to prove that I could do it and not only that I could do it, but that I could master it and, and that I was not going to give anybody else the satisfaction of saying that I couldn't do it. And I told that's just you so. been, yeah. 
Heck yeah, man. I think that's why I started hunting with the bow in the first place. People told me, you know, I can remember, I, I remember at one point in my life, me practicing and uh, I was practicing going on a deer hunt with my bow and a bunch of guys were watching. They said, man, you practice so much. Why are you practicing? I said, I'm going to go kill a deer with that. And I, man, I can see it to this day. I can see all 10 of them laughing, right? And the first mule deer that I killed at 15 yards, when I drew back on it, as it was coming through my sight window to release, I could hear every naysayer. I could see every person laughing. I could, I could feel all of that. And when I let go of that arrow, it all friggin' disappeared, man. It was like, you know, I did it. I did what people said couldn't be done. And, uh, that's, that's just kind of my mindset, man. And, and, and what I've always tried to teach kids and what I've always tried to uh, emphasize to people around me is that my dad died, guy, when I was 13 years old. I didn't get to know my father. He was dad. You know, you didn't know what type of man he was or anything like this. But he gave me one gift. And there was not a day that went by that I did not hear that man tell me, if there's a will, there's a way, right? And and of everything, uh, I got nothing, you know, to move on in my life from my father except the GI Bill uh, to help me go to college and that mentality. And between those two things, the rest of my life has become what it is. And when my wife and I were 20 years old and going to get married— we didn't have to get married, man. Um, it was, I, I fell in love with this girl. I wanted to marry her. I had no job. I had nothing to offer. And when she asked me, she said, Joe, what are we going to do in life? You know, how are we going to get along? And I said, babe, as long as I got my bow, as long as I have my shotgun, I can live in a friggin' tent. I, I mean, we will make it. And that's just been that mentality, you know? And uh, there's been a lot of dark moments in my life, but I truly believe there's a reason for everything and we can find a way to get through it. And that's the message. That's the life changing message that I want to send out there. And I send it through elk hunting because when you're out there and it's just you and those woods and what you got on your back and have in your hand, there is no enabling, man. There are no excuses, they're, they're, you know, uh, people aren't going to say, poor you, you either get it done or you don't. And it's that pure and simple. It's that real. It's that, um, uh, I, I don't get to make excuses, man. And, and that's what I love about it. Me too. <laughs> that, that is one of the aspects that, man, I don't know if it's one of, it might be the aspect you can you know that you, whether you put everything out or you didn't, when you look back on that hunt, I don't care if you're chasing mule deer, antelope, whitetail, whatever, you know how much you gave and what you kept in the bag or kept in the tank. And sure. man, that's a long 11 months waiting for that season to come back. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why I tell guys, man, I, that's, you know, I, I, I always give guys a hard time when they can't get out of bed to go on an elk hunt, man. And, and, and I'm like, 
are you kidding me, man? I'm like, you've waited 350 days to be able to do this. And you get done, you're going to say, I can't wait till the next time. And you're not getting out of bed. Shoot. I mean, <laughs> get your butt up and, you know, and grind it that's out, it. man. Yep. Yeah. Because that's, that's, I mean, you know, we live for this. We dream about it, man. And, uh, hey, just, just let's get after it. You know, so, yeah, I mean... That's, uh, that's those messages. Those are the things, you know, people talk about the suck, you know, they, they, and, and look, when you hunt, crap happens. Things don't always go your way. There's going to be, I don't care how right you do everything. There's going to be a time when you're going to wound an animal and you're not going to recover that. I hope it never, you don't have to experience that. I've only had to experience that one time. Um, I've been pretty fortunate, but I've been around a lot of people that have had to experience that. And, and it wasn't because they did something wrong. It's just because it is hunting, man. There's variables and that animal on the other side, there is trying to, it's trying to survive and it's going to do things that are going to keep you from being able to recover it sometimes. And, you know, that's a hard thing to take, but it is a lesson, man. It, and it's a lesson that, uh, hey, um, you go out there, nature doesn't care. Nature is going to keep moving forward. And, I mean, there's a whole other podcast that we could talk about all of those feelings as well. <laughs> so, okay, so let's, uh, I'm going to drop us into component 13, and I really like this area, um, developing mm-hmm. confidence. And there's some, there's some sub uh, headers here um, that I really, really like, right? So what's the ultimate goal? Identifying small goals um, and the cycle of success, right? So right. let's touch on those in particular um, real quick, but I really like this cycle of success, right? Because success, it's kind of subjective um, in my opinion, when we, when we talk elk hunting and I believe we've touched on that, um, yeah. you know, getting yeah, that, we have. that bull in 12 yards, mm-hmm. right? That's, mm-hmm. you know, and you'll hear, yeah, there's a few guys that'll call that, you know, a successful hunt. Um, so let's talk about well, that a little bit as we... So that part of the hunt was successful. I mean, that's, and that's what I try to tell people is, is yeah, you have an ultimate goal. Your ultimate goal out there is to punch your tag, um, to be able to put on a harvest an elk in a uh, quick and humane way. That, I mean, that's your ultimate goal right there. Um, but uh, an elk hunt is full of so many different goals along the way that all of us have, you know, the, the experiences that we want to have, the things that we want to do. I mean, that's like you talked about the, the, the calling an animal and the, the sexy of it, right? Um, earlier in the podcast. Yeah. I mean, people want to be able to do that. Um, but there might be other things to be able to get one coming in silently and recognize that and see that before it happens. And then so make that finish, or it could be as far as my my goal might be getting up and getting out and experience the mornings every morning or coming in and, and, uh, and having those conversations, enjoying those moments with other people in camp. It might be that I got to see new country or experience the top of a hill that I don't think anybody has looked off of, or, I mean, there's so many different goals along the way that fulfills you on a hunt that makes it what it is. But I can tell you what, man, um, 
<laughs> if it wasn't that every hunter out there wanted to fill that tag, um, then they would just go camping. <laughs> they would, you you wouldn't have it in your pocket. But I at, mean, at it, the same <laughs> time, we can get we we won't see the forest because of the trees, right? I mean that oh, right when that becomes the only focus. Oh yeah, we lose so much. Right, and and I think, and I I think I stated in one of my things is that do I. Um, do I truly believe that after you do this or you experience this course with me that you're not going to have all of these other things that fulfill you along the way? I, no, heck no. I know you're going to have those because that's what drives me. And I know that you're going to understand all of the internal, the soul filling parts of this, right? Um, uh, I guarantee you're going to feel that. There are some people and again, that's why I do a course like this. That's why I talk about those things for people to share. Because there's some people that just miss that. They, they, they were raised in a different environment. They were taught a different way or they weren't taught at all. And it was just simply about the kill. It was about putting something on the wall, man. And I mean, there's guys that that's all it means to them. You know, I mean, uh, I've been in guiding long enough to see guys that donate their meat to other people just so that they can have the head. Right. So, I mean, it, it didn't mean anything to them other than that. Right. So that's a big conversation to have. And let me tell you what, I don't care how much people pay me. There's going to be things in there when, when I'm guiding them, that's going to come across a certain way. It's going to be teaching moments and, and, you know, I mean, what they're doing is not illegal. No, it, it, it's it's not even unethical. Somebody's eating the meat, but and and that's cool. I mean, like I like to duck hunt, but I don't like to eat them. So I always find people who want to eat them before I shoot some, right? And I make sure that 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 meat is. So am I talking about the same thing, right? Um, all of us have to look at ourselves when it comes to that. Who in the world? is going to give elk meat away <laughs> <laughs> dude you'd be surprised man that is, that <laughs> you'd be is surprised <laughs> yeah, i mean because i i want to hunt a moose and that's the biggest problem that i'm finding is because i want to bring the entire moose back and that means that i might have to drive there because that's what it means to me that's what i want out of it but different people feel differently about things and i you know i've talked to people that that deer hunt that uh, they like deer jerky, but they're not that much into the deer meat themselves, you know, but they have people in their family that do like it. I mean, we buy chicken. Not everybody in the house wants to eat chicken, you know, so uh, it's just the way that goes. So the small goals, what it takes um, to achieve those goals. And when I talk about the cycle of success, man, it 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 talks about each of those points that – um that cycle of each part that we have to go through and understand in order for us to continue to be successful. And, and I mean, from things of, you know, it, it's the work ethic, it's, it's the perspective, it's the um, attitude, it's the um, uh, confidence, how each thing develops the next thing that's going to help make you successful. And one of those things in there is, uh, is perspective as well. 
um, because there's a lot of guys that will go out uh, in the cycle of success. One of those points of things that you have to talk to yourself about is perspective because there's going to be guys that go out that do everything wrong and they kill an elk. So in perspective, do they need to do what they did previously consistently to do that every year? Well, if they do, they're not going to have that continued cycle of success. So that cycle is things that we look at and that we have to understand uh, as individuals to continually be consistently successful, not just find, be that uh, hog finding an acorn every now and then. Yeah, well, I was going to say the, the blind squirrel finds nuts too. So, Sure. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Elkbros.com. Uh, and when is mm-hmm. when is the spike camp available or base camp? Excuse me. Base camp. We're trying to get base camp out in July. That's my goal. Um, well, man, it just uh, we keep going through so much. Well, you see the information on it, and and uh, it it's it's all of the all the stuff that we're gathering to put in and all the typing and stuff like that. But. Um, you know, I, I might even be to the point where if we are at so many components that are ready, I might even go on a discount that, for that um, and, and put that out there, if, especially if I'm all the way to from going all the way back to the calling, because there's a certain point right now or finding an understanding, you know, it, there's a certain point that some guys are already past as far as if you go down to the bottom of that pyramid, they've already done a lot of that so there's some of this that they really need to be successful in this coming season so um you know i hate to do an early release without it being because i'm just that type of guy you know but at the same time i've got people that are like joe man i just want to go into the calling section or i just want to know this i want to know how it's set up you know so uh it might be a value and if it is and and it works for people um and what they know is it's going to be continually getting things added to it as we go. So it's going to be that, that plane that's going to be having stuff and get, it's going to fly better and better as we keep going. So, uh, and you have it for a year. It's not like um, you, you get it for a month and you have to learn. You're going to have that for a total year. So July, man, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to drop it in July. Yeah, that, uh, that's enough time for me to consume the, the points I see. I'm looking at here. There's just, it, and it's crazy because it is, there's a lot of stuff on here and, and for the price point, man, that, uh, yeah, I can't see guys, even, you know, new guys, you haven't have an area in here where it's be, uh, be, veterans and versus beginners, um, where you right. actually separate and start talking about it. I mean, it's just, it's loaded, loaded, loaded. Well, it, it's, uh, Man, it's almost 40 years of, of experience and looking at it from a coaching viewpoint. So I, and I try to word things. I, you're going to, you're going to see things um, written in ways you've never seen things written because a lot of things are how I talk, man. And I'm very real about stuff and I just spell it out. You know, you do this, you do that, you know, and uh, I use a lot of my expressions and, and it's, it's a representative of who I am. So, um, and what I've done and I'm trying to give people insight. I'm letting them into my head and I'm sharing, man. And if it makes their experiences better, if it makes them a better hunter, if it makes them a better ambassador out there in the woods, um, then it's a win, win, win all the way around. 
So one of the things that I want to get into, man, and and I, as much as I love notching a tag, I am uh-huh. about the experience of being in the woods and just enjoying God's country and the growth that comes from it every single time that I'm out there, man. In my opinion, there's nothing, there is nothing on God's earth that is capable of doing what it does like hunting. Yeah, absolutely. But, and, and I told you this was going to be interesting to talk about because I I'm with you, man. The hunt is everything, man, to me. I just, you know, just being out there and doing that is, is what fills my soul. But at the same time, I don't want that, um, filling the tag being a bonus thing to become a crutch, an excuse. Uh, I, I, I don't want somebody to set themselves up or protect themselves from failure before they even start, I guess is the best way to put it. And for me, and it, I don't know, Guy, if it goes back to my childhood or not, but, you know, when, when I first started hunting with my uncles and my dad, my brother and stuff, it was bringing that animal in that was going to go to the table that gained me respect from the people around me. So that might've been a big part of, of the reason I am the way I am. But for me to be successful, the ultimate success, the reason I bought that tag is to fill it, man. It's, it's to, it's to, uh, it's to take uh, an elk. That's my. That's when I know that I'm being successful. Now, what I tell people is there's all kinds of levels of goals in a hunt, all kinds of them, man. And the encounters, especially now throughout, and I'm not raising a family anymore, and and I'm not poor as I used to be, and so we're not as dependent on that. So it's so much easier to count coup on animals now than it ever was. But, uh, and I, when I say count coup, I mean, basically I know that I could have taken an animal and I pass on it. Sometimes I, I'll even draw on it. And I think it's a great way to learn to be in that situation and to get comfortable in that situation and, and to learn a lot about yourself and the animal. But yeah, <sighs> Yes and no. I, I guess I'm I'm playing the fence here, guy. Is that uh, I I don't. Is it a bonus? Is it an expectation? Is it a measurement of success? Is it a part of the journey? Is it going to become self fulfilling prophecy? You know, when I'm coaching people now, <laughs> you're laughing at me, man. <laughs> I like the self fulfilling prophecy because that's that's it in a nutshell in my head with elk, man. <laughs> Yeah. So, and when I coach people now, I mean, people don't want to come and be coached by somebody that, that, that tells them, Hey, it's okay. I'm going to give you an award at the end. Right. (laughs) No, they want somebody that's going to show them the ropes and help them to be in a situation where they can have an opportunity and then know how to close the deal. That's what they want. They want somebody to teach them the ins and outs so that they can be, and I got news for you. We all love to hunt. And when we're done, we can say we had a great time, but we wouldn't even put the frigging tag in our 
pocket if we didn't want to go out and kill an elk, right? You know, so uh, that as as an elk hunting coach for me is to have somebody to totally fulfill every part of their goal set is for them to be able to take that animal. Now, do I want them to have multiple goal sets? Well, they better because if they don't, then they're not going to get to that point because there's so many things that you have to achieve where then killing an elk takes care of itself. And I I think you've seen some of this stuff. I I write a lot of crap and I put stuff out there. I don't know if I should call it crap, but you know what I mean? (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I I write a lot of stuff and I put it out there about how I feel and things that go through my mind and things that I talk to kids about. And, and And I always coached my kids that, look, live for the competition, prepare for it, pay attention to detail, work your butt off, understand why and what you're doing. And if you do all those things, the other rest of it takes care of itself, man. I mean, if you have the preparation in, if you have the passion, if you have the love and you have the skill sets, it's going to come, man. It's going to come. Then it's all about, you know, well, how friggin' much of a grinder are you? How persistent are you? You know, uh, how easy is it for you to quit or to get your butt up and get after it the next day? How, how, are you going to be that person that if it comes down crunch time that, man, you're going to go stay up all night and you're going to travel with elk all the way across the friggin' Mesa so you can be on them in the morning? You know, I mean, it, I, I guess, uh, I, I don't know. I kind of went around your question there. I hope you understand what no, I meant I, by I got that. you. I got you. Um, the, the, the part, I, I, maybe the part that we're conflicted with that, if it's a conflict is yes, we want to notch that tag. And I think you said it, but we, but we cannot be so focused on notching that tag that we step over all the other successes along the way. Right. Exactly. The part where you want to quit. Right. And you, you, maybe you had to take a knee to catch your breath and you push back up and you say, you know what? I'm moving forward. That's, that's, it sounds cliche as all get up, but that is part of that success. That's part of that growth in the elk woods. That's part of making that next step. Um, right. That, and then why I laughed is the self-fulfilling prophecy part. Um, because that was me, man. I did all, I, I did all this. I did this. I did that. I'm ready for this. I'm ready for that. I'm going to go kill an elk. And then I'm driving 18 long hours going, son of a, I didn't kill an elk. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and with, with all right. that preparation, And, you know, grinding before season, you almost and it's odd, but you almost feel like you deserve it. And there's nothing out there that you deserve. You know what I mean? You got to earn you got to earn every animal. I don't care what animal it is. Um, So I hear what you're saying, but I I think there's so many different ticks to success. I just don't want somebody guy. I don't want somebody that tell me, yeah, I'm going elk hunting and they're going, ah, but if I don't get one, I'm gonna have a great time. You know, no, I'm going to kill something. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, And, you know, but at the same time, you shouldn't be so friggin you know, focused and intense on that, that you can't appreciate the sunrise or you can't sit there and listen to, you know, I, I, I tell you, man, I can remember it was about my fifth year of, of hunting elk that there was this fest going on, this rut fest where there were about 
10 bulls bugling around this this park area and as much as i want to kill an animal and bring it home i went to the edge i sat down with my back against an aspen put my head back closed my eyes and i stayed there for 10 15 minutes just listening to it all happen man i was just like taking it in and you know and then man it's time all right let's let's get back to hunting but it's just because i'm so passionate and i love the hunt so much that i think um you have to if you're not feeling that if it's just that i got my hands bloody period you know then yeah you're, you're missing, missing out yeah absolutely yeah. missing something yeah yeah totally missing out man because you know i i think that people live to be out there and and now even it's even for me these days it's all about sharing those memories and camaraderie you know i mean i used to hunt alone by myself a lot even when i was with chav we would go out and we'd hunt our separate ways and you know it's to the point now man i like i want to be there over somebody else's shoulder and help them get it done and experience that and see their memory and see their experience. Or, or I want other people uh, in camp to be able to share this because, you know, that's what it's all about. It's that, you know, that brotherhood, that sisterhood, that the hard work of people doing things together, telling those stories, having those laughs, um, working our butts off, facing challenges. You know, it's just, uh, it's all part of the package. That's those small goals. That's those small successes that, that build and build to make us who we are. And not only in the elk woods, I mean, I think I am just as tenacious in anything I do, you know, I just don't, I, I can't accept doing average, man. I, I, that's just not in my system. So, uh, I think it's something that we take that into our life. We take into other things. We take it into raising our kids. We take it into our relationships, you know? So I, I think it's way more than just about hunting. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that, that spoke to me. <laughs> that spoke to me because, <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, that with when we talk about, you know, and, and I've been a, a preferred solo guy for years in the woods and, and last right. year kind of opened my eyes and not so much. I'm not going to say so much on my deer hunts. Right. Um, uh -huh. But on my elk, on my elk adventure here, I I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm conflicted right. to a point because. The majority of my success hunting has been solo. So it's that part of it. I'm still I, I still fight with a little bit. But like you're saying, the the camaraderie part of it and then in general, our demographic is so small to share these like experiences that right. I can talk to you and you can talk to 10 other people, but we're all intertwined in this it is just amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't even have to be sharing a camp. I mean, it's just, you know, with the podcast platform, you know, you guys do right. it and, and it's that camaraderie and that, you know, kinship, if you will, through this experience that, uh, that is really, that's why that spoke to me. That makes that so, so powerful to me. You know, these guys that I share my elk camp with, and I'm very choosy about who I share my elk camp with, um, man, uh, 
are some of the most incredible human beings that uh, that you'll ever meet. And uh, all of us are from different places. You know, Chav and I, uh, we're, we're married to sisters and uh, we've been best friends, coaching together, hunting together. This is going to be our 39th season. And he drew for this year. And, uh, and for those people that don't know, Chav has been battling cancer, is relearning to walk. And I tell you what, man, he made sure that I put him in for the draw and he drew and he's he's busting his butt trying to just learn to walk again uh, as one of his goals. But, you know, these other guys that are in camp with us, man, have been there for him. They've been there for me. These are guys to ride the river with that, you know, uh, Gilbert says it all the time. You know, I'd go through hell with a water pistol with these guys, man, for these guys. So, you know, that's pretty special when you when you have that and you get that, get that kind of uh, that brotherhood. And Gilbert's wife teases him all the time, says, I think you guys only go up there in the mountains just so you can cry. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, <laughs> it'll, it'll draw that emotion out of you, too, though. That's the, you oh, know what I man. mean? You ain't kidding. It'll yeah, draw absolutely. it out. Shoot. And so you just absolutely. mentioned something in it, and we kind of glassed over it. So let's talk Elk Bros a little bit. Let folks know, you know, about Elk Bros and um, right. the podcast and everything. So Elk Bros um, happened because of uh, my brothers. Um, uh, you know, I, I've been I've been guiding guys and hunting with people for you know almost forty years now, and so many of these guys were like, you know, Joe, you're not a guide, you know, you're 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 a hunting coach, man. You you're always teaching us, and you need to share this information. And I've had so many guys that I've hunted with that were, you know, telling me this, and I, I thought about trying to write a book about my information and stuff, and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't sit down in front of a typewriter. It's just I'm just not made to do that, you know. And uh, yeah, I think it was. Uh, so we've been doing this a year since February when I, when I started doing this, it was a year ago, this past February. And it was the hunt before that, that, um, our Venezuelan mafia, uh, Luis Gonzalez and, uh, <laughs> and Manano, uh, Graturon, uh, you know, on two different occasions, we were out there and, and, and they would come to me like, you know, bro, man, wh- why are you not doing something with all the stuff you teach us? Why aren't you, you know, sharing this with the rest of the world? Is it about money? Is it what if it's about money that you need some help? We'll help you, man. But you need to start doing something. And and just their guy, their belief in me, them willing to back me, you know, in a sense. And, you know, just the things that I've had different people that I've, some of my best friends in my life right now are people that I developed relationships as being, I wasn't, you know, I was their guide, but I I never just guide. I always teach, you know, and, and I develop rapport. And, you know, these guys lit a fire under my rear end and I called them up one day and I said, I'm buying a domain. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start. This is my goal. This is what I want to do. And, uh, and so I started Elk Bros, man. And the name, not only to honor them, but really the Elk Bros, the ones that I wanted to honor was, was Chav and, and myself because, you know, Chav is my brother 
they're in law according to, you know, blood, but uh, he's been more my brother than any sibling I've ever had in my life. And um, I, I did the name to celebrate that. And, uh, and I didn't want it, you know, I, I don't want it to be just a guy thing. I mean, uh, I, I don't ever want to exclude. I coached boys and girls and I say guys all the time. And that's how I coached my team. I had a girls team. I had a guys team. And I, you know, I called all of them guys, man. I was like, guys, come in, guys, come in. So, uh, I don't want it to be that way. I have two daughters. Um, one of my daughters doesn't like to hunt. The other one is a tremendous hunter. Uh, but so when I started this, um, the whole idea is I'm building, uh, Blue Collar Elk Academy. It's an academy to teach, to coach guys on how to elk hunt, to be successful in the elk woods. Um, And it's a little bit different format coming from a coaching background. But in order to start building my base for that, I said, wow, man, YouTube seems to get all this stuff. So I'll start doing like a, a podcast and YouTube thinking YouTube would be the thing that would blow up. And as we started doing the podcast, I, I pulled Gilbert in to be the host and we do this remotely. He's in Texas and I'm here and Gilbert's awesome, dude. Cause yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gilbert's just something else, man. He just makes me smile, you know, and uh, he can, he, I think he, t- he says all the time he could talk the leg off a wooden Indian, you know, he's paid <laughs> to talk <laughs> and he's, he's just so cool to be around. And so we started doing this with him and the, as the host and me kind of fill as as we go like that and and I do all the layout but uh what blew me away was the response to the podcast and it's just been incredible it's just been blowing up and it just became its own animal and we're getting so many we get all these letters and emails and contacts from people and we get photos and we have people saying you know uh, you know you've inspired me to this and 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 you know i, I gave up hunting and this year I'm going to go after it again and do this. And, you know, you hear that kind of stuff guy. And it's like, it's exactly why we're doing this man is to to give other people the opportunity to have these same memories, these same experiences that have changed our life the way it has. And And you you look at it and you go, who would have thought (laughs) I did that? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely, man. You know, I got to see it as a coach. I got to see how working with young people, working with youth, how much it impacted their lives, changed their lives and helped them to um, do things in their life. And I think one thing that I've learned doing Elk Bros Guy is that we're just a bunch of big kids, man. And there's so many people that are looking for ways to bring change to their life or to bring hope to their life or to bring something special, you know, something that they can believe in, experiences, something that's going to, uh, you know, it's going to be something that they can take with them wherever they go. And we're just big kids. I don't care how old you are, man. We're still, you know, (laughs) we're nothing but kids. There's some value and, and, it's, and I don't have, I would just say it like I told my kids, I've been telling them for years, you know, without, it was just, you know, never lose your kidness. Well, dad, what does that mean? Never forget yeah. what it feels like and to be a kid. Um, and there's some nuances to that, of course, right? 
with with sure. making decisions and things like that. But it was about having right. a good time and smiling and looking at the lighter side of things. Um, sure. And man, that's been a that's a motto. And my my daughter, she's 23 now. She'll remind me of that every now and again. And I'm like, OK, thank you for checking me. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. man. Yeah. We got to keep that part of us. Yeah. And, and that's why I have found that Elk, Elk Bros and the Blue Collar Elk Hunting podcast has touched a lot of people because there's a lot of people still looking for that coach. They're still looking for that mentor. They're looking for something to believe in. They're looking for uh, the people that that say you can do this, you know, and, you know, it's just so cool to see the reactions and them passing it on to their kids. I mean, God, in the last week, I think I've gotten four videos of, of three-year-olds and nine-year-olds out practicing their bugling because they've been listening to our podcast and dude, it just makes you smile, man. It just, you wake up smiling. Especially so, when you think uh, of the impact, right. In, in not just to them immediately right now, but the impact to hunting in the future, right? You're passing oh, that down now to to realize that you might have had a small part in that is, uh, man, that's a great feeling. Yeah. And, and, you know, on the other side, too, I think it it brings a perspective, a reality, and it's grounding because we are hunters. We do deal with death. We do deal with last moments of life. And if we're not doing that, then we're not worth the skin that we live in, man, because that's what this is all about. It's about understanding the full circle, being part of that full circle and and respecting that. And I, I think that's what makes us make ethical decisions and smart decisions and things like that. But we understand the bigger picture. You know, I mean, and that was huge during this pandemic. You know, I mean, I, I have family in the big city that were just totally freaked out because they couldn't get meat from the, the grocery store, man. And yeah, so we're like packing up coolers, taking elk meat to family members down in, in Albuquerque, you know. So, uh, yeah, it has uh, – there's so much good that comes out of all this. Oh, heck yeah. I, and again, I said it earlier. I don't think that there's anything on the face of the earth that – brings life full circle like our pursuit in the woods does with any animal it is just a phenomenal experience man the values that the hunting community upholds the things we believe in um it, it second to none second to none totally what's that mean change my mind i'll argue that with somebody all day long Well, and, and it's it's hard, you know, how can somebody convince you otherwise? Because what we are doing is what we were designed to do and we haven't gotten away from it um, because it's uh, it's it's not the end thing or it's not somebody else's definition of civilized or I mean, this is this is the our our beginnings, man. It's in our DNA. All of us. And I, I don't care what those people out there that aren't hunting animals. Everybody is hunting something in some way, shape or form. It's, it's in our DNA, man. Well, Joe, I, uh, man, I greatly appreciate the time. Um, I'll be listening to elk bros and blue collared elk hunting. Um, I've enjoyed it, man. That solo. I I think I'm, and that one I've Uh really, I'm, really into because i've been like i said a little bit conflicted about you know 
hunting elk in a group and hunting solo. And there's a lot of things in there that I've, uh, I've picked out that are like, okay, this is, this is great. Um, so man, I appreciate it. It, It's just, it's really good listening. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you saying that. And I, and one thing I, I tried to really convey in that is everybody always attaches solo with you being alone and, that's not always the case. Solo techniques, I think, are the basis for any successful hunter, whether you're with a partner or with a group or anything. I mean, you can be with a group and still hunt solo and and still have that experience when you get back to camp of the camaraderie and stuff. So, I mean, if if you're the type of person who wants to be out there and it's just you and nature, that's awesome, man. That's that's what uh, floats your boat. Get it done. Go after it. But, you know, uh, I just want to understand that there's different scenarios of solo and it, it, uh, I know it kind of contradicts this saying, you know, you're solo hunting, uh, or using solo techniques when you're with somebody, but it's so valid, man. It's so important. Good deal, brother. Well, I'll, uh, hit this button and I appreciate you. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down. We spend a lot of time preparing for our hunts, and how we fuel our efforts is key. Head over to ValleyToPeakNutrition.com, helping you perform optimally in the backcountry. The purpose of Valley to Peak is to provide sound nutritional information supported by science to help you prepare and perform optimally in the backcountry. There's no secret. This is done through education, coaching, and programming based on personal goals and preferences. Head over to ValleyToPeakNutrition.com or catch them on Instagram at V2P Nutrition.